Friday, September the 1st, 2023, already into September. Hope everyone's having a nice week. We have a lot of ground to cover today. We're going to talk some Woodbine early pick five for Friday, races two through six. Then we'll dive into some best bets for Friday, Del Mar. We'll get into Saturday, Woodbine early pick five, Saratoga best bets for Saturday. We'll also hit Del Mar. It's Pacific Classic Day on Saturday. They have five graded stakes races, and the feature is the Pacific Classic. Barry Spears joins me to talk about all five of those races. Then Sunday, uh, Saturday is the Louisiana Downs Super Derby. I have a Super Derby deep dive. We go through each contender in the field. Thoughts on all the horses in there for you. Positives, negatives, info on every runner in the field. Then we get into NFL, our... NFC North team previews. So this is it now. We finished. NFC North, we are done. And then Chad Cooper joins us for this week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. That's the website. If you need any help in the world of real estate, buying, selling, leasing, if you're just curious how much your home is worth, maybe you need connections to the right type of vendors if you need home improvement or you're looking for help with a home loan, she'll connect you to the right type of lenders. She is one of the kindest, most genuine people you will ever meet. She just wants to help you. She knows this field. She knows this world. She's going to take care of all the stresses for you. Cindy Carava. Okay, let's get right on into it. We'll start with the Friday racing. We'll go Woodbine, pick five, Del Mar, best bets. Then we'll shift over to Saturday. We'll start with Saratoga. We'll give a a few best bets there. Then we'll go Saratoga, Woodbine, Del Mar, finish up with Louisiana Downs for Saturday. Then we get into football, NFC North, and then wrestling with Chad Cooper to close it on out. Friday, Woodbine, early pick five preview. Here we go. Time to talk some Woodbine for Friday. And right now, DRF Daily Racing Forum is having a big Labor Day sale. This sale goes all the way through September 4th at 11.59 p.m. You can get up to 50% off on all of your favorite tools, resources, past performances. Make sure to head to drf.com or you can use the direct link below if you're watching this video. It's below in the uh, information. So DRF classic formulator, past performances, clocker reports, DRF picks, digital paper plans, DRF plus pro, all of those on sale right now, all the way through September the 4th. Make sure to go take advantage right now. You know, you're going to be using it every time there's a sale, take advantage, store up some of the credits and, uh, and that way you're saving money right now. Let's dive into Wednesday or Wednesday. Let's dive into Friday. It's the first day of the week for Woodbine. So their schedule, they're going to race Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday coming up this week. So Friday, September the 1st, we're going to dive into that early pick five. It starts in race number two. There is that $50,000 guarantee on Thursdays and Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, that guarantee bumps up to a hundred thousand. You can play the pick five for 20 cents. You can play a lot of their wagers for just 20 cents. Let's talk pick five at Woodbine race number two. I'm going to look at the number seven in here. 
Bridge to Nowhere is interesting to me because Horse had no chance in the debut, just completely missed the break. Um, then second start, deceivingly good. July the 8th, missed the break again from the rail, and then recovered, was up to fourth on the inside within a couple, and then got stuck in a really bad spot, got shuffled back, stayed inside, got a little room, and moved well through traffic there. Following that, showed a lot more speed in the next couple starts. Now the blinkers come off, so I think they're going to try to get her to relax and come from more off the pace in here. Bridge to nowhere. I think a, a nice fit in this one. The three Crimson Knights just never got involved last time out. She has a couple different races that would be good enough to win this. I think she's a player here. The five rookie court. I don't really like horses like this that are over 15, but again, this is not the strongest group in the world. She would not really shock. The one, Bella Spina, is the other at 8-1 to with that inside speed and another getting a little bit of class relief here. So seven is, for me, the really intriguing one to throw into your pick fives. A 7-3-5-1, depending on how deep you want to go in here. A 7-3 and three all over the place for me, and then a 5-1 if you want to go a little bit deeper. Let's move to race number three. $25,000 non-winners of three going six on the synthetic. We're looking at the number six in here, Cerebro. It just felt like a perfect prep race for him last time out. It was his first start as a four-year-old. He broke on top. He took back a little bit. He sat behind. He angled off the rail to the two-path up to challenge. He took the lead, but he was passed by one other rival. He was a clear-cut second that day. It was a very nice effort. And I just think he fits well. He has nice tactical speed. He can sit close from the outside because I do think the four is probably the fastest in here, 357, or I think that those are the tactics that they will choose in here. Dropping in class, key off the two back race where he did sit off a little bit, move to the lead, and just missed that day. A few starts back on June the 4th, he's behind Patches O'Houlihan, who has just been awesome as of late. We saw win the bold venture there. Back-to-back 90-plus buyer speed figures. So six, four all over the place for me. Those are my top two. Now, let's say things heat up. Maybe those two go at each other um, or a couple others. Like Anarchy is a little bit interesting, making his second start back and returning to the synthetic. And you also have Souped Up, who would be the horse to benefit if they did go really fast early on. Six, four, and then three, two. If you wanted to go a little bit deeper, let's go to race number four. This is the third leg of that pick five sequence. Fourth race is a $7,500 non-winners of two claimer. Some horses that are on my radar in here. The number nine, Quiet Speed, who dropped back to last with six lengths off, moved closer, only about four off, and then tipped to the outside, got pushed out really wide, and made a big move all the way up to within a length, like a half length. And continued on with second best that day. Thought it was a good effort from quiet speed. Using all over the place for me. The three Lakeshore Drive speed dropping in class. Just trying to figure out where this one fits. And you don't normally like this kind of a move because this horse was claimed for 40. And then a couple starts later in for 7,500. But with that speed and a cutback. Should be able to at least put himself in a really good spot. I don't think he'll be like badly over bet either. The, the four is very logical. The couple last couple of races just coming out of races against better. Always close up early. Six furlongs might be a little bit farther though than than where he wants. The two 
is interesting, classy boy, but I'm probably okay taking a, sh- a swing against this one. I would go nine three, and then four two would be the question mark horses for me. Let's move to race number five, seventy five hundred dollar claimers, Phillies and mares, three rolls and up, which have never won three or which haven't won a race since September the first. Six and a half. Let's go to the eight. Catchy name. She fits very well here. She's one on the lead, but she can also sit. She's probably the quickest. And then the outside draw gives her some options, no doubt. Right next door, Nadia Business will probably go. She just missed last time. She was a, a pretty solid second in a similar type spot. She'll be in the mix early. Like the one Emerald Lake, as of the shorter prices, just dropping it. Big drop down in class came in from Southern California. So they're trying to search for where she fits, where she belongs. And if she's got anything, she's going to show it here. The five Gormley girl will come closing. She doesn't win often, but she'll pick up some pieces. If they go fast enough, she could, she's, she's good enough to win with the right type of trip. She's hard to trust eight, one all over. I'll use five and seven on some other spots. And then closing things out. In race number six, we're going to look at a maiden special weight here. Six and a half furlongs on the synthetic. I'm going to go to the number six hot dance. I should like both the Kevin Attard horses in here. You can take a look at the trainer statistics. So in the DRF formulator database, you can pull up first time starters and see how this barn does with first time starters. So over the last five years, they are 32 for 208, 15%. With a positive ROI. For every $2 you bet, you have $2.25 back, which is fantastic for this big of a sample size. And if you want to check out a more recent sample size, you can even um, take instead of the last five years, which is how far their database will go back in, in DRF, you can go to past one year and you can see 13 for 57, 23%, 264 ROI, 49% in the money. This barn is fantastic with first-time starters. In the last year, they've been really rolling with first-time starters. So now, that doesn't mean you just blindly play all of them. For me, when I'm looking at races to try to find out if I like a horse, especially a first-time starter, there are a few things. If the barn's good, that's just one of them. Do they have a consistent work tab? What's the pedigree look like? So for this one, Conquest VV. Won her first three starts, one right here at Woodbine on the synthetic, and won a couple stakes races. She showed precocity. She showed some class. She showed some speed. All positives. And only has produced one other sibling to race. So we know the barn's really good first time out. I thought the dam was very talented and was precocious. We have a solid tab. Very fair price. The other Kevin Attard runner is Inundation. The dam won the debut, one of three siblings won and was stakes placed. And I wouldn't talk you off either of those two, the two and the six. The three for Patrick Dixon, I like a lot about this barn, uh, about this horse, but the barn hasn't had a whole lot of recent success with first-time starters. They are just one for their last 40. But look at the dam has produced some nice ones, a horse named season ticket who earned $280,000 was a stakes winner horse named Belichick who was second in the Queens plate and then came back and won the breeders and Wickenheiser who we saw second in the Woodbine Oaks and just ran in the Kings plate. So this is a nice damn 
who's dropped a couple of solid runners and in it to win it is 20 to one. But I mean, so I, I like a lot of what I see just again, this barn is not quite as good with horses making their career debut. Just one for the last 40, 10 in the money finishes the Cassie runners right next door to each other. The two and the four. I mean, they're obvious players. Cassie's only five for his last 52 with first timers at Woodbine. So on a little bit of a cold stretch over the last year or so, I'm going to go with the two and the six as the, uh, the top tier for me. Then I would have the, the two Cassie horses, three, four, or excuse me, four, five, and then three. So I would stack them six, two, four, seven, uh, six, two, four, three. What do you do with the seven? I personally am going to try to play against, I think. The barn's very good with first-time starters. The dam was a winner. Like, there's a nice connections play. I kind of have her in the tier with the Cassie horses. I just, I like the Kevin Atard runners a little bit better in here. So I'll probably try to end some pick fives with two six. See if we can get through in a race with a couple prices here. That's a look at Friday, September the 1st at Woodbine. Remember, every racing day at Woodbine, we'll have some thoughts for you. Usually take a look at the pick five and whatever the stakes races are on the card. Don't forget about that Labor Day sale. Go to drf.com or if you're watching this video, you can click the link below. It'll take you directly to the link for the sale and you can purchase and get up to 50% off on past performances, picks, clocker reports, digital paper. Good luck on Friday over at Woodbine. We move from Friday Woodbine to Friday Del Mar. Let's get into a couple best bets for the Friday Del Mar card. Time to talk some Del Mar for Friday. It is a big weekend with Pacific Classic on Saturday. There are five graded stakes races on Saturday and the grade one Pacific Classic. You can actually get your past performances right now at drf.com. PPs are available for the Pacific Classic. They also have the entire Del Mar handicapping store, past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, and betting strategies for Pacific Classic Saturday. So I'm going to talk about Friday. I've got a couple best bets for September the 1st. Let's see if we can build the bankroll, make a little money. So we are ready to rock and roll for the big Saturday card. Let's dive into these daily racing form formulator past performances. I'm going to look at races three, five, and seven. Third race. Let's watch a replay in here on the number five lights Aster. And he's going to come out of the, she's going to come out of the same race with Adeli, who I've given out before and sang Adele, never mind, I find, but it didn't work for me. So I can't sing Adele because it didn't work for me last time. Uh, unfortunately, I think we gave out Adele. I liked her back after the fourth place finish, one of them, and we played her back and she finished third at a big price uh, last year. But too much on Adele because we're talking about Lights Aster. And anyway, let's watch this race. Um, this was her career debut, Lights Aster, who is nicely the number eight in the uh, the race that we are about to watch is she kind of a step slow and then you see right here the seven and the nine boom they cross over on her so she just loses a spot and she's all the way back to 10th she's 10th in this field of 11 
You know, she's like seven or eight off early. Then she kind of moves up and settles into a nice position a little bit closer, probably about six lengths off where she starts to to settle. But she has to take up and then back up. Um, You're going to see she just does not have the most uh, positive trip here for her career debut. So she starts to settle down a little bit. I mean, she's a big price here. She's like 50 to one. And she like moves nicely kind of into contention with the rest of the field a bit. And she's going to have to take up and back up and tap on the brakes. She pushes all the way back to last, never a, a positive. So watching this race, seeing that she shows a little bit, but she didn't have the best of trips and seeing that this barn is so good now. Yeah, there she goes. She backs up badly and she actually comes on again pretty nicely. Kind of a weird trip, but I thought I thought you saw a little something here from her coming back now, and then she's going to move an angle around. The barn is eight for their last 54 with second-time starters, 15% over the last five years. They're five for their last 21 with horses making their second start. This barn is having a really nice stretch right now. It's like a really good barn overall. Now, you'll actually see Lights Astern late here. Thought this was not a bad effort for the career debut going long. Now she's going to make her second start. I think there's plenty of reason for improvement with the number five with a barn who's really good second timeout. She's 10 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything five or above, I think that's fair value. Let's move to the fifth race. Optional $100,000 claiming race. This one is uh, five furlongs on the turf. The one freedom flyers pretty quick and draws the rail. I think she might be forced a little bit. She, she wants to sit, especially at this type of trip, but, but her hand may be forced the two sassy nature. Very quick. No doubt. She's going to be one of the quick ones in here. Brandon, my lawyer, same thing with her. And you look at my destiny, probably forwardly place sits a little bit. Angel sense definitely goes three main speeds in here. The worst I like is the four canoodling. She's going to make her second start back off a short break, and she's going to take a big cutback now to uh, five furlongs on the turf. You can actually see that earlier on in her career, she was fine going five and a half, and she's run five furlongs on the turf, and she was a fine third that day. The key is she should get a trip in here, and I think she has enough tactical speed to keep herself within striking range. I feel like she'll be able to have a lot more finish at this five for a long trip. The four canoodling, if she's anything over seven to two, will make a win wager there in race number five. And then we move to the seventh race. We're going to talk about the number eight, Paleo's Princess. She's just been unlucky. I mean, I could show you any of the last three or four races with her where she just had some tough trips. Now she's going to, like the last start, Last she had a good beginning, but she didn't want the lead, so she ends up sitting like third, like two path. The winner was the Philly. She lets go to the lead and go wire to wire. Rose Barton. So if she would have kept that trip. She, I'm not, you don't know that she's going to win, but that was against 50 starters. Now she's back in with Calbreds here, and with that outside draw and the big cutback, they're just gonna keep her to the outside and let her run late. I think she comes rolling late and can pick up all the pieces. Paleo's Princess, the number eight at seven to two. A couple plays for you on Friday at Del Mar. 
Don't forget, you can get your past performances right now for Pacific Classic Day. Everything you need at the Del Mar Handicapping Store. And there's a big Labor Day sale all the way through September the 4th. Take advantage right now. DRF.com. Let's turn the page over to Saturday. I'm going to start with Saratoga. I'm going to look towards the back half of the card. There are a couple of graded stakes races early on the card. But when I don't talk about them, it generally means I think they're going to be really chalky and I just don't have a strong opinion. That's what I think about the stakes races early on the card at Saratoga on Saturday. You got the Flower Bowl. It's a field of four. McCulloch is a four to five or two to five favorite, I think, on the morning line. And then later in the fifth race, you've got the Prioress. And this one, you have a short field. Dazzling Blue looks tough in there. What makes it a little difficult is the whole field has speed, and there's not really any true proven closers. Dazzling Blue is at least drawn to the outside, so that can help her if she wants to sit off a little bit. I'm going to shift to the seventh race. I'm going to look at races seven, nine, and 11. So race number seven, it's a maiden special weight for two-year-olds, and I'm going to go to the nine dive bomber. This horse got some action in the debut for Brad Cox. It was less than three to one, and... She was in the he was in the second flight early on. He was in between horses and he tried to move up the challenge, but you know, he just never could get to the this horse who flew out of the gate. He got shuffled in between. He came on again all the way up to third. He tried late. He didn't just stop even after he backed up. And I think there's a really good educational debut for him. I feel like he got a lot out of that race. His dam won her first two starts, won the grade three tempted going a mile. His lone sibling is Botanical. He's a half-sibling to Botanical, who's a four-time winner, a multiple-stakes winner, who's who was only 6-1 to one in the Kentucky Oaks this year. Dive Bomber is 7-2 to two on the morning line. If we can get anything over 5-2, to two, or maybe you build exotics around this horse, you single this horse in any kind of multi-exotics that you're playing. Move into the... Eighth race. I mean, the eighth race is the Harvey Pack. It's another short field. I just prefer our shot of the runners in there, another race where I might just single on this one if you're playing multi-exotics. The ninth, it looks like this race has so much early speed on paper. You've got Force's Sweetheart who gets the inside draw. She's got to go. Missing Fortune wants to be close up. You've got um, Easy Play who's really quick. Sandy's Garden is very quick. Athena Beach wants to go. You've got Tuscanova Beauty, who wants to be forwardly placed. Richie's Princess, Majestic Return, all want to be close up. This race sets up really well for Fancy Feline. So she won back-to-back races, and then she's 0 for 13 since. But Joelle fits her really well, and she should get a fantastic setup in here. She actually has... her. She was hitting her, to- her co-top buyer last time so she may be trending back in the right direction right now she's coming off of a a good effort and now she runs into a field that should set up really well for her with her late running style she's eight to one on the morning line you'd want five to one or over on her and then we move to the 10th race i always find myself playing danzig with the stars he usually runs a really good race and a lot of times outruns his odds so I use, he's a horse who I always throw in in, uh, in Maltese. But I've been waiting for Tyson to come and run against some of the, the kind of better, older horses. 
He's been running up at Woodbine, and now he comes down to the Jockey Club Gold Cup, and he is in a fantastic spot in race number 11, the 6th Tyson. Who scares you in here? Nobody. He's versatile. He's done, like, nothing wrong. He's 4 out of 5. His only loss came when he he got behind horses for the first time in his career, and you could see he was a little bit not unsure of himself. He, he didn't know what to do, and he closed a little late, but he came back in his next start and he relaxed and now he's just versatile. He's got a ton of upside. He's beautifully bred. The number six Tyson. I like him in the jockey club gold cup. He's five to one on the morning line. That's a look at Saturday at Saratoga. Best of luck. there. closing weekend, not Monday's closing day. So, uh, the holiday weekend. Not been the greatest meet at Saratoga. Lots of negatives for them. I feel like they just kind of want to get the meet over and get a chance to start fresh at at the next meet. Sometimes it's just bad luck, bad weather. Um, They've had just so many things go against them. Let's shift from Saratoga to Woodbine. Let's dive into the early pick five for Saturday over at Woodbine. Remember now on Saturday, they bump up the pick five guarantee to $100,000 guaranteed pool in race number two. Time to talk some Woodbine for Saturday. We're going to be looking at September the 2nd. We'll be diving into the daily racing form past performances. There's a big Labor Day sale this weekend. You can get up to 50% off on daily racing form past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, and digital paper. If you go to DRF.com, you'll see it right at the top uh, on the front homepage, or you can click the link that I share below. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're watching this on Twitter, there'll be a link right there. You can click directly to the sale. So DRF past performances for Woodbine pick five for Saturday. Remember that early pick five sequence, hundred thousand dollars guaranteed every Saturday and Sunday in the pick five pool. Let's start in race number two. You can play for just a 20 cent based wager. Let's dive on in race. Number two is a race where I'll be pretty captain obvious. It's a mile on the turf course in here. I think there are three main horses that are going to take a lot of support. And you want to try to pick one or two that you want to use. You don't want to use just ABC when you're building your tickets. So the three exult making his second start back off a long layoff. He loomed up and looked exactly like a horse who needed the race. He just was sitting in a perfect spot, moved up and just didn't have a whole lot of punch. He should be fit. The, Interesting horse in here is Bongino. He crossed the wire first, actually three times. He's a two-time winner. He was a bit slow early last time out. He was inside, but he was able to kind of push up to fourth within two, uh, just behind the leaders. He angled around three wide. It was really nice, um, Bongino. And of course, my name is in this. So uh, I actually am going to lean towards Bongino. I think if you're going to look for one horse to play or a single, this would be the one that I would go to. The other horse was the uh, one of the outside Newport agent fits really well in here. Uh, third off the long layoff drops. Uh, nothing wrong with that race on June the 25th, two starts back in the career best came at a mile on the 16th on the turf has some speed, but can pass horses. 
Six for me all over the place. Three, eight would be the others, but I'm going to single the six, try to get away with Bongino right off the bat in this pick five. That'll give me some opportunity to spread around a little bit. I think you'll need to. Uh, I like the four in race number three, Holiday in Chile. Completely missed the break. Was last was about 10 lengths off. Made a big middle move into contention. It's kind of shifting around behind horses late. Now drops in class. The two serenade at sea was a, a good second. After a fast start, but just didn't cross over, backed up to third, was a couple lengths off, moved up to second, but couldn't get to one of the pace setters um, when he backed off. But I, I think he's probably the, the quickest in here. I mean, Yoda's a player dropping, getting back to a sprint. The three, six, and seven, you can make cases for all of them. Like Dixie's flatter in here with the blinkers coming off, hits a career low. Then you have the six and seven. Smoke and Holiday would not shock me at all. Cutting back, JMR Speedy escape, cuts back, drops, will be more forwardly placed in here. Four, two is my top tier. One, three, six, and seven. I think you can make cases for all of them in a very wide open race, but I'll be using the four and the two everywhere. Race four is the middle part of the pick five sequence, a mile and a 16th on the turf. The six horse, Flawless Ruler, is a turf player with some sneaky form here. Was down on the inside last time out behind a ton of horses and really got going late. Was behind Greystone and Hank Ollie. I'm a little bit worried about Hank Ollie's chances in here because I think Centeno is even faster. Cell and Tano is even faster, the two. So I'm I'm two, three, six. I think Greystone will come flying. The six had trouble in that very same race, and the two. Celentano looks like the speed of the speed stretching out, dropping in class. Two, three, six, all over. Four, eight would be the others if I was going a little deeper. Guard of Honor would be on a spread ticket for me, as would Hank Ollie. But I'm going to try to get out of here with two, three, and six. Moving to the fifth race, mile and a 16th. Three-year-olds and up, but just started for a claiming price of 7,500 or less over the last two years. I'm going to the four in here, Sunrise Drive, who was sneaky troubled in that turf race on August the 11th, was sitting kind of sixth in between horses, was only about two lengths off and just was not in a good spot. Um, Got stopped multiple times and then tipped out, and it was just a brutal, brutal trip. And now Hernandez jumps on. This horse likes it at Woodbine. A couple starts back, he ran into a horse named Tyson, who's actually going to be running in the Jockey Club Gold Club this weekend, and was behind Stanley House, who was in the King's Plate. I like Sunrise Drive in here quite a bit. I would have no problem singling this one on some tickets. After the four, I would look at the two. Rocket Joe Cooper, super honest, really consistent. Nothing to sell you on with that one. The three, stolen money is quick and one of the quicker in here, I think. Both the six and the seven cases can be made for uh, Ispam Gratu, second start back. They're just trying to figure out where she fits. She's going to stretch out now. And Coleyville is honest and comes running. I'm going to treat him more like an underneath type. We close things out in race number six, $25,000 claimers going a mile on the turf course here. Another extremely difficult race. And I I should have a lot of options because I'm I'm probably going to single in a couple different spots. The two don't dismiss this turf form with the blinkers coming back on. These are some good races down here last year. This is a horse who was in the breeders. Um, who was in the plate trial and got good on the grass 
fits here getting back to the grass. Last time we saw him on the turf, it was his first start of the year, so he needed that race. Now the blinkers come on. The two, seven, and eight, they're major players for me. The seven, quiet out east. The eight, Lion Kingdom. This last four race stretch has been really, really good. And then the one's the real wild card. He runs a huge race, earns a big buyer speed figure, and then he's off since November. But this is a barn who can definitely get a horse ready to rock off the long layoff. And imagine he's got to just go from the rail. 287 for me to close out the pick five on Saturday at Woodbine. Best of luck in the $100,000 pick five sequence. Good luck if you're playing the races over at Woodbine. Time to get into the feature presentation for Saturday. Barry Spears joins me to get into the five graded stakes races on the card for Del Mar. It is Pacific Classic Saturday. They have uh, graded stakes races from the 7th through the 11th. So if you want to flip to race number 7 for Del Mar Saturday, Barry Spears joins me. Let's get some handicapping done. Time to talk some Pacific Classic and Del Mar Saturday. We're going to get into all five of the graded stakes races, including the Pacific Classic for Saturday. We're going to look at the daily racing form past performances. The we is me, Gino Bacola, and my buddy, Barry Spears, the sniper. Barry, buddy, how you doing uh, getting ready to talk some Del Mar? Oh, yeah. I can't wait for this card. This is This is a great, great card. Uh, we're looking at all the stakes races. I, I mean... I, can't be more excited. I, I know there's a lot of things that are going on in general, like hurricanes and, you know, all, all the kind of bad stuff. But this is uh, something to look forward to this weekend for sure. And DRF has a couple big things happening. They have a Labor Day sale that is right now all the way through September the 4th. You can get up to 50% off past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, digital paper. Get to DRF.com and you can click right on the tab. Uh, if you follow in the videos or on YouTube, uh, I actually put the link directly there too. So you can click right to it for the Labor Day sale. And we will be looking right now at your past performances for Pacific Classic Day. You can get those now, 11 races, five graded stakes races. They have a full store dedicated to Del Mar for every racing day all throughout the meet and for Saratoga. And Barry, can you believe that this is closing weekend at Saratoga? It's uh, Monday, that's it. And then next week uh, for Del Mar. So just a couple weekends left of the big summer meets. We still have a lot of quality racing, though, to come, and uh, it'll get started on Saturday with uh, with Del Mar and their really, really big Saturday. So uh, let's dive in. Barry and me are going to talk the five graded stakes. So we're going to start in race seven on Saturday. We're going to be looking at the daily racing form past performances here. And uh, we'll start with the Del Mar mile. I will say, Barry, the conversation that we usually have every summer, West Coast versus East Coast people debate, Del Mar versus Saratoga. Um, Del Mar's more laid back. You got the beach over there, Saratoga, a little more prestigious, usually have better quality racing. I would say this is 
probably one of the first summers in a long time where I don't think there's been much of a debate. Saratoga's just had a very uh, unlucky summer. There's been some things that they've kind of brought upon themselves, but they've had horrible weather, which they can't control. And they've been taken off the grass repeatedly. And on the flip side, Del Mar's been really good and really consistent throughout. In particular, the big days have been fantastic, like huge cards, big fields, really, really quality stakes races. And again, it just doesn't look like we're going to have a whole lot of heavy chalk in the races that we're talking about. Oh, yeah, there's there's definitely prices to be had in these races. Um, You know, Saratoga, they've had a lot, a lot of bad luck, unfortunately, this year. And, you know, Del Mar has been the beneficiary of that. And, uh, you know, their full fields every every day has been excellent out there. So um, I I don't uh, think that'll slow down (laughs) anytime soon going into Labor Day weekend and then finishing up uh, next week. And then after that, you know, we're going to the Pennsylvania Derby and then, you know, Breeders' Cup right around the corner. So there's lots of stuff coming up, man. Yeah, very excited for the next couple months and very excited for the next couple days as Barry and I record this on Thursday afternoon into the evening as uh, we get ready for Saturday's Pacific Classic and race number seven, the Del Mar Mile. So just kind of diving through the field in here, horses that'll take a good amount of support. Dujour, who had a couple of really tough beats in back-to-back races and finally was able to put it all together, dropping down to a, a little lower level. You have... Count again, who's going to take a ton of money. Second start back off the bench, I think will be a major player in here. And then others that will definitely be uh, getting a lot of support. You'll see to the outside, the, uh, who was I looking for? Well, the six is one of Barry's old favorites. Uh, Exalted, (laughs) there we go. Exalted will be one of the major players and probably go favorite in here. The four race win streak. And he had time off Barry. So now what he's able to do is he's able to set himself up nicely to get to the Breeders' Cup. So with a horse like him, though, you want to make sure that while he's been impressive and he's won all of his races on the grass, he might be prepping to to be even better down the line. For a horse like him coming back here, this may not be his absolute best, but uh, he's a horse we at least have to start with because he's been perfect on the turf. Yeah, I mean, you really can't knock him at, at no. any at any point you know, through his past performances, especially his turf work. When I mean, And he was good. Excellent. He was good before the grass, right? It wasn't like he was a bad horse. He was just kind of right on the door. Yeah. In like in good against good horses, just a cut below like stakes quality. And he's a perfect example of horses of like why horse racing is so great. And it's such a puzzle because it's not linear for any horse. This was a good horse. The connections who had this horse early on probably thought they had a really nice horse and they did. He just had some trouble. He missed some time. He was just knock, like you said, knocking on the door. And then finally you put it on turf and it's like, for whatever reason, he just makes his own trip. And now he's been able to blossom into the horse. They probably always thought he could be. And, you know, he's a grade one winner. He's won four in a row. And you say, ah, look, it looks like he gets good trips because he puts himself in that spot every time. Like they're going pretty quick where, when he sits and he just sort of sits and gets the jump on everybody. Yeah. Uh, and that that's a really good thing to have. You know, you have that positional speed and then you, you know, you can finish. Yeah. And and that's exactly what you want in a turf horse. Especially like um, a mile race like this too, right? Yeah, that, yeah because right. it's it's kind of an elongated sprint. I, I mean, mm-hmm. nowadays the, the, the way they ride these races – it's more sprint like than it is, a, you know, 
like a traditional classic distance kind of race where they slow early. They're they're kind of running pretty fast through the whole race in these mile races, especially especially on the West Coast, higher right West Coast, and then higher level, you know, grade two, grade one types. They really motor and 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 these are really competitive races because sometimes sprinters can have sort of an advantage stretching out. Um, this, this race is awfully tough, but there does seem to be kind of a lack of speed and a horse like number two Sumter kind of jumps out at me as a horse that could actually kind of run better than he has because of the pace scenario that he's facing on Saturday. I, I think, he's definitely going to get the lead. It's just a matter of how long he wants to run. And because um, of that, that scenario that, that will get to one of the horses. I like a little bit too, but talk to us a little bit more about Sumter. Who's going to stretch out now. Second, start off the bench. And yeah, you just feel like he's this, this stretching out from five for long races and, and six prior to that last time he was going a mile. He was on the lead. He's closest to the rail. He puts two starts together. Just lots of positives for him. Yes, exactly. And you know, if you look throughout his career, I mean, his race on December 26th, 2022 in the Mathis Mile was pretty damn good against against some really cut, tough competition, mm-hmm. including a couple of horses that, that you'll see on Saturday. Um, but his mile races have been very, very good. And, and you go back, he, he ran two decent ones after breaking his maiden at Santa Anita in, in some lower level stakes races. I think he's a better horse since then and will definitely be real formidable at a big price on Saturday. So the way you think the race could shape up, that's sort of why I like the number eight in here war at sea. Um, Because I I think this horse can sit a really nice trip just behind whoever the leaders are. Cause I don't want him on the lead, but I want him sitting right behind. This is a horse who was really good. His turf form was excellent. He had some issues um, in in his races last year where he just missed a little bit of time between June and then the Del Mar Derby. He missed time last year, and then following that race, he's been off for 10 months. But he shows up on August the 4th, and he runs a bang-up race in a race that's not even for him. That five-furlong trip is not even his best trip at all. He just sort of did that based on class and based on ability. That was his first start as a four-year-old. He's grown up and, like, matured a lot because we we missed basically the end of his three-year-old season right into his four-year-old season. Like, all of that development, all that maturity, he did not on the track. So he's a better horse. I think now than his past performances overall would suggest second off the bench, second start at four stretches back out. Can he just step forward off of that last effort? Because that was a good effort. And that was the progression that he was showing in his earlier races. He's back to a mile uh, trip right here. And we know it should be no problem for him. We've seen him get a mile and an eighth. He sits a great trip in here. I like him quite a bit in this spot, the eight, because I'm, I agree with you. There just, there doesn't look like there's that much speed. I think a key to the race is is your old buddy, Visitant. Yeah, you know, I, I, I took a long look at Visitant, and it's, he just doesn't run when he's on the turf. He, he ran just one is, time, and he didn't really do much, and I don't think he he's, he's just going to just turn it on. And uh, that's the on key, because what you're pointing out is an interesting thing. If he is okay with the surface, he'll at least be forwardly placed mm, and, yes. and could be – you know, could have a say in making this a faster pace or maybe sitting right behind and in the mix with some of the horses that we talk about. But then there's sometimes where 
a horse doesn't like a surface and then they don't even show their normal speed on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's like, the you same. see that a yeah. lot. A lot of the time, like a speed horse, you know, his only turf race, and it's tough to use that one as a gauge. It was actually the Del Mar Derby back in 2019. It was going a mile and an eighth. He didn't show any speed at all that day, but that race was followed by a long, long layoff. So it's really tough. Maybe he just couldn't get out of game. Just something right. was wrong. So they were careful yeah. on him. But that this happens with with horses that are just particular on one surface and he's not been bad on the dirt. He's definitely better on the synthetic and he's, that's where he's done a lot of his dirty work, but he's actually had some okay success on the, on the dirt too. So like, he's just a nice horse overall, but I don't know. It's It's tough read. Yeah. He's very tough read. Very tough um, read. I agree. You know, what's funny about uh, Visitant seeing uh, Max Field in those, uh, in the results yeah. of some of his races, which is kind Mucho of funny. Gusto. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, this horse has been around. He, he's tough, but he's he's seven now. I, I just don't know. Coming off a layoff like this, I, I just don't expect him to, to be um, that forwardly placed. And, and I think the two with the inside position might get the better of him early and then slow everybody down. So, yeah, I mean, just a fantastic betting race. The nine I played last time, a twist, and was really impressive. Like, just a horse that makes really good sense, too. Came into the country with nice form and came into the Saddler Barn, just needed the first race a little bit and had a kind of a trouble trip and then sat a perfect trip. But the, the, the thing with him, which was sort of funny, he was just all over the place late in this race. Uh, and I'll just sort of skip. He was the one in here. So he ends up like he's sitting a really nice trip just behind the leaders. Perfect spot. Really can't ask pocket. You know, trip. <laughs> just where you want to be. And when he moves through, he gets a beautiful opening and he's able to move to the lead. And then he kind of starts to wait on horses. I right, think because yeah. he hits the lead too early. Right here, he's like looking around and look how how wide he goes on the turn, and he just just gets lost out in the middle of the racetrack out here for a little yeah, bit. He got a little rank, or yeah, that or the the jock tried to slow him down a little bit, and then he and, sort and of he, just sort of lets him go, and yeah. he just keeps, he sort of kicks back into gear here, you know. Yeah, I mean it, it, that's pretty impressive, especially you know doing all that in the stretch and and at the top of the stretch. I wasn't really too sure what to do with this horse, to be honest, because of the post position. Yeah. Um, and with the eight inside, and they're projected kind of to get the same kind of trip. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of kind of flank him out a little bit. Yeah, it, it might hurt him, but he's de- he's definitely talented. It's it, it's it's really upon your call. I I guess uh, you know twelve to one if you like him. Pull that trigger, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the eight and the nine horses that we mentioned, the four is obviously the horse to beat. Barry talks quite a bit about the horse he thinks would get the lead, the two. And then you have a horse like the three, Count Again, who he... Solid. 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 Totally makes sense. And you could see it going one of two ways. Like now as an eight-year-old, if he just has lost a little bit of a step and ran like a nice third in here, wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, I mean, he's up against it a little bit because with the pace. running style. Yeah, he's he's going to have but, to launch from like last. But if they go quick enough, you know, if there are combinations, he loves this trip. Mm-hmm. He will come running. And if he's still got something left, he's going to show it in this race, making his second start back. His ceiling is one of the higher in this race if it were to sure. set up well for him. Um, he, and he would be a, ho- a horse to like be really tough to hold off 
Yeah, I thought so, him and Dujour were probably going to get kind of similar trips from yep. way yep. downtown. But stranger things have happened. So this is this is a good betting race. I mean, you got to make decisions, but this one's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, really, really great edition of the grade two Del Mar mile. When you have a three to one lukewarm favorite, that's a grade one winner last time. And we've talked about six, seven horses. You could see different paces projecting based on what one or two other horses will do. This is exactly what you're looking for in a horse race with a big field and a good betting race. That's the seventh on Saturday at Del Mar. Let's turn the page, Barry to race number eight. This one is the grade three Tory Pines. We're going to go a mile on the dirt in here. And this is a, a fun race because you have Fiza, who's going to be the heavy favorite, eight to five. She won her first five starts, including a grade one. And then she was third in the Black Eyed Susan. And she's like solid. This is, she's like a solid grade two horse. Like, and, you know, she could get the better of, certain fields. She's got a good sort of running style, Barry. She kind of puts herself in the race all the time, but she's just not a fun horse to bet. Yeah. Because she gets pounded at the window as you every time, every single time. And, and she's <laughs> not like overwhelming on speed figures. No, you know, so you always look at her. Like if you like a horse that has some upside or you like a horse in the right spot, you feel like they could beat her. Um, and it's done, done you to the detriment, done me to the detriment a few different times. But talk to us about this field. Uh, how do you see it? Who are some of the horses on your radar? Well, one thing before I, I kind of get into who I really like, but if you look at Fiza's past performances, you can see a, a clear pattern here. Like, you know, I know I've, I've done this on our um, Stable Duel live streams when I tell you about horses that after they turn three, so the jump from two to three, so if you look at Fiza's past performances, December 2nd, I mean, December 10th, he, she won uh, the Starlet, last race of her two-year-old season. Yep. January 28th, comes back. You see that number, the buyer number is the same. That means, or at least signals to me, that there's another jump up in this horse's future at the, you know, running these kind of races. And you see what happened the next time, jumped up uh, another you know, four points, then another eight points after that. So that's how, you know, you get the buyer progression. And and that's a real good example of that sort of thing. I figured I'd point it out since, you know, um, you know, we regularly use formulator in, in the buyer numbers. So it, it's something that you'll see quite a bit. And, and it's a good indicator that a horse is about to kind of break through. That being said, um, there's two horses that I kind of keyed in on here. Uh, coffee in bed. Oh, you knew we were going to get, I knew we were going to be on this one together. Yeah. For those same reasons. Yeah. Um, you see the horse came back. Uh, you know, this one isn't as quite as clear cut, but you got to keep in mind who the trainer is. This is Richard Mandela. He takes his time with his horses. And when they're out there, they usually run pretty damn good. And you can see that, you know, he broke his maid. She broke her maiden, uh, January 6th, came back, improved race against any who and just missed and any who just laid off it's the jump right. right and the only reason why you That's lose it. to any who in that race is because any who is a little more tactical than you exactly um then comes back you know uh july 28th and we can watch this the, race because yeah. it was it was a good really good race and the, and very very good race and even and, though the and, figure wasn't as good it's 
It doesn't bother me as much. It was a good race coming back off of a few months, and we're going to watch her. She's the nine in here. And you can see she she stumbles a little bit right there. She's got the uh, orange cap, and she backs up. So instead of being a little more forwardly placed, like we saw her in her first couple races where she sat like two or three lengths off, she's way out of it. She's yeah, I call 10. that the layoff effect. Yep. You know, when they start slow off a layoff like that. And, and, and you get kind of squeezed out of a spot, you know, mm-hmm. and she's 10th here. She's kind of slow a first few strides, but then you see her on the outside start to move from 10th, nine lengths off. She's three deep. She's up to try and contend, but you can see the top couple already separate, but she's got a nice sustained rally here on the outside. Right. And it looks to me based on this, that the mile will be fine for her. Because she had to move so – her move was such a long, sustained move here that she's going to – she can do that same thing. She can also sit a little bit closer. See, she's up to third here. She's basically run her race now getting up to third, right? And the top two have just separated. Yeah. And and this – you know, I I can just picture in my head – Richard Mandela is just like, yeah, that's exactly what we wanted out of this Just miss a second right there, too. He's like, that's, that's, this is exactly what we want going into the race we really want to win. Yep. And and it's and it's this one on Saturday. And I, I think this horse just sits, you know, just rates a good trip, will be sitting a good trip, and will probably be a, a decent price. I don't think you're going to get 12 to 1. No, and I, you know what? I sent this one in as a stable dual play because of I, that, right? Yeah. Because I think you want to lock this one in somewhere where you can get that type of a price. Because she feels more like a 6 to 1 shot. Exactly. And that's probably what she'll be. And yep. maybe even a little bit smaller than that, maybe yeah. nine to two ish. Yeah. Which is fine. You know, especially the way these strings of races are coming up. If you're playing multis, nine to she'll, two isn't going to be a, a bad thing. In, in she's not going to be the, the two outside horses are still going to take money. So oh, she absolutely. won't get hit. Like, even if she gets hit a little bit on the wind, on the, like the wind end, like that's probably where she belongs. I think like about like you said, half where she was. And she's even got, she's, Bred like pretty nicely. Like, look at her dam. Um, was a you know, was a mayor who was multiple stakes placed and oh, yeah. had a nice little career. Um, and she's also a half to a horse named Great Stuff, who was a graded stakes winner a couple years ago, won the toboggan and was like a seven time winner. So, like, this is a decent little pedigree. She's run well in all three of her starts, they make sense. She's shown she can come from off it if she has to. I think the distance will help. Um, just check so many yeah. boxes for me. This is like the quintessential, you know, the phrase well meant. Yep. That's what I feel about coffee, <laughs> coffee yeah. in bed. The other horse that, that kind of stuck, stuck out to me was uh, ocean club. And I bet this horse last time in the San Clemente um, on July 22nd, she got beat by Anna set. Who Who's we, very nice. Very, very good horse. Um, and I think just the way this horse ran that day. Um, I was impressed with, with that trip, right? Like I, she yes, was, exactly. she showed she that's, could sit a little bit and not have to I, need the lead. Yes. Cause exactly. she's drawn towards the outside here and could get that same sort of trip. If she just kind of puts herself in it, pushes the lead, pushes the pace a little bit and then sits that, that was impressive to me. That was yeah. a good effort. And I don't really think she wants to turf, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think getting her off back onto the dirt is probably where she wants to be. And I think she, she ran a winning race. I mean, it, she I don't know if you pull that video up yeah. just in the stretch or the far turn in the stretch, she, she makes a winning move, just not good enough. You know, um, Anisette kind of had a better trip 
uh, and and that was the difference. But yeah. so she's she, the nine, the I believe, nine. in here, and yeah, she's sitting just off the pace, and Anna sets kind of moving behind her, and she moves in front, and like it's a good. It's a good effort. I, I was surprised that she was able to sit like three lengths off like this and move. I thought she was more of a need to lead type horse. And so this showed me a little bit of something. She's looking for room right here. She's in the yellow cap. Right. And she had she's, to wait. She had to wait a little bit right here. And now she gets a nice opening, but her momentum has sort of stalled and, and a set just is right there to jump. Right. Exactly. Right on and pop, that, you know, and that's exactly what did her in. You know, she had kind of had to slow down a little bit while the others on the outside didn't get stopped cut second too but a nice second and, and and i think that sets this horse up for for possibly a decent run and you'll probably get every bit of that eight to one if not higher because uh she's coming off turf races the key is you know with maldonado and ceiling crusher to the outside here if this horse has got to fly i yeah. think i think in in sitting off the pace a little bit she got shuffled i think she ended up a little farther back than she wanted and when generally when I see a horse like this do that, I figure the next time they're going to go very fast just to try to overcompensate for what happened last time. And you get Maldonado aboard and you have the outside draw. So it's just got to be got to be go time. Yeah. I mean, there. what other way is there to go no, for this horse? None. But my my issue is a the outside post because they got to work hard to get there. Yep. And then B FISA, who I think they're going to push. The eight is out. is like in as coming out of softer races, but this horse is pretty quick too. Is got some zip yep. coming out of a sprint race. Also, Ocean Club is quick enough to push a little bit and then sit like we've seen from out there. Any who stretching out with the blinkers coming on, I don't like in any who's race. Uh, uh, two back in the summertime, Oaks went a little slow. I don't think she wants that trip. I think they want her to be closer, especially going a mile. Um, yeah. It, I like I the think four. Infinite Diamond it should be forwardly placed here. I saw Both that the two horse and run the three. twice. I saw that horse run twice at, uh, at at Gulfstream, and she was really dominant. Um, and I think they kind of went a different direction and, and yeah. didn't handle this horse the way I at least at least I think you know. And the, well, those, it's funny. Should. Those two races actually are a little better than you at first glance when you they just are. sort of look and you see like, ah, oh, fourth and fifth, but they were in big fields. The fourth race effort, the fourth place finish was only beaten a couple. Eddie news, Eddie's new dream came back to win. And then last time kind of moved up into contention. And then Anna set was just really impressive. It was just too much yeah, in that race. It's been too much out there for anybody. Um, but she could sit to just sort of yeah. be just like in that second, like just kind of fall into it. I could see her falling into a nice trip. Flying if connection I'm, has a lot of speed too. So here's the thing. I'm going to throw in the one <laughs> on some pick fours and pick fives because of this race, the way it shapes up. She's definitely not the Philly that everybody thought after her <laughs> sparkling debut. And then she came back again in her third start and was impressive. And most of her career, she's been over bet, but most of her career, she's been in races where like, they haven't been as much speed there early on. This could be a race that really sets up for her. She may yeah. not have to be that good or be the best horse down the line, but she could really get a good trip, like a trip that she hasn't gotten in many of her races. In here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you want to believe that this horse has the talent to win a race like this. 
I'm not so sure. Um, I mean, I've dubbed her the female version of Tappet Trice. Sure. Um, the, the only reason why talented. I'm okay now is that you're going to get the, the best pace. price, yeah. the pace and the price for the first, because when you look at this race, like we did, you go through so many speed horses and you're looking for some horses that can sit off the pace. She's one of those, the truest closers that you're going to find that oh, just yeah. wants to drop way back. And if they go flying and the race just na- like naturally comes back to her, she, right. That's it, how she won. That's that's and, basically how she's she's won her exactly. start. And I wouldn't want to take won. her ever at a short price. Nope. But in this type of race with a bigger field and a lot of speed, if she's six to one or above, if you're looking for those types of horses to throw in your pick fours and pick fives and stuff, the way this race shapes up, I'm okay with it. Um, yeah, I mean, you, know, you you see all the time uh, horses, especially with buyer speed figures, because that's that's basically what I use a lot. Yeah. Um, but you'll see horses that will outrun their average buyer, let's say, when cir- circumstances are optimal, like whether it's a speed horse or a come from behind horse. This is one of those opportunities that I think this horse could actually kind of outrun the odds if or outrun her buyers if yes, the pace is the way yep. it should be and they get that perfect trip. Totally which agree. Is certainly it's- possible. Because there aren't that many horses in here who would really benefit. Like we're saying, a lot of them want to be close or on the lead. And if there's a group of only like three or four of them that are really sitting and that really want to do that, that's her game. She may be one of the better of clo- uh, closers in here if there's you know three or four horses lining up and they're all within a couple lengths. She just spots herself so much to do early that she usually has, you know, there's horses that just always get the jump on her, but if everybody moves early in here, I have no problem playing her at a fair price. Mm-hmm. Also the- worth noting is uh, Juan Hernandez basically left the 10 to ride yep. coffee, coffee in bed. bed. And, yep. you know, that, that's got to say something because, Absolutely. you know, Ceiling Crusher is a, a pretty damn good horse. And the, just I, another I, just great another, rate, right? Yeah. It's, like, it's, this is super. <laughs> really good sequence here as we move from – the Tory Pines for three-year-old Phillies. We're going to move to the Green Flash. This one, a five-furlong turf sprint. And keep in mind that the Breeders' Cup is in Southern California at Santa Anita. So you will see a lot of these horses probably using this race and maybe one or two races at Santa Anita as preps for the Breeders' Cup. That'll be coming down the hill, I believe, uh, at Santa Anita with the six and a half. So the layout will be a little bit different, but you'll see a lot of these horses. And this is a, a five furlong layout. And what you'll generally see in races like this, tons and tons of early speed. You've got the one fast buck who wants to go. Kid Corleone is quick, can sit a little bit, turn on the jets, wants to sit uh, a little, but Silent Poet wants to be right there and pressing. Beer Can Man wants to be close up. Lane Way wants to be close up. Noble Reflection can absolutely fly. I think that there are three. I thought there were three like, wow, fast horses in here. And that'll probably be up front. Noble Reflection, Fast Buck, and then probably uh, Bus Buzz. I, I would think those three, Barry, will probably be competing for the lead in here. And and they could really be flying in this race. Oh man. Yeah. This, <laughs> I'm, I, I can't wait to see this race. Because I know. They're just going to be moving down the back stretch. And uh, you know, funny enough with all that, I think this one might be the chalkiest of these races. Um, 
I, I thought Beer Can Man is kind of a standout here. He Must use to me in all exotics because way my- classier than than most of these horses. Um, the pace sets up perfectly for this one. I like the the last workout before this race. I mean, everything is pointing this horse's direction. I I don't think there's any way we'll get six to one, but no, um, two to one would be probably appropriate for for that he, horse. He's a great great fit in here. I have zero knocks on him. Um, he's in the mix in all uh, exotics for me. Uh, I will use one or two more. I think the horse that beat him notorious. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, and that, see, yeah. that's the horse who I'm going to play. I'm in a fantasy horse racing league. Uh, I have a draft. <laughs> I have a draft a little later on. Uh, so they won't know. will hear me by the time I play this, but I'm going to try to get this horse late in the draft notorious because I think he would be great for the breeders cup turf sprint down the hill. Mm. Yeah, um, like five, absolutely. five isn't even his best, but he can still win this race because of all the speed in here. And like six and a half is where if he gets this race under his belt runs well, he could be a really sneaky horse and get me like a nice breeders cup win, which are worth big points in this league. And not, he's not going to be a horse. I think that is on a ton of people's radar because he's a turf sprinter from Southern California. He's been off for a little while. So he, I mean, he's going to get a great trip, yes, right? I absolutely. can, it just, it, it it's so hard for me to see him not getting a great trip. He's been fantastic in all of his races for this barn. And I have zero knocks on him um, with it's him beer can man turn on the jets. The only other horse that I would mention, and I, I might use as a price, the key for me can kid Corleone do what he did in his career debut and what he did in the Bing Crosby. He sat and ran a bang up race in the Bing Crosby. And he finished fourth. The three horses who finished in front of him in that race You've got the chosen Vron, who's won eight races in a row and stepped up from Calbred to grade one company and has earned multiple hundred buyer speed figures. You've got Anarchist, who just won the Pat O'Brien next out. Anarchist has, what, nine races in a row where he's been in the exacta and six of them are graded stakes races where he's been in the top two, just always shows up. And the third place finisher was Dr. Chevelle, who's a multiple grade one winner and was second in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. So he was fourth, barely beaten behind those three in a really tough Bing Crosby. And now, you know, you look at his first race, his turf race, and the speed figure is like very light, but that was his first career race. And he's just a way better horse now and just classier. And he's done a lot more. He could, can he sit like with Kent? DeSormo's not usually a shove it rider. So I think with him aboard, he's going to try to sit. I'm just, my only concern is like, he could get shuffled down there between a lot of horses, like in this type of a race. But I don't think him, like he's too far away from competing with these. And he's only making his third start as a four-year-old third start off the long layoff. He still has some upside. Yeah. This is a good spot for him to, to try the turf again. I think. Um, yeah, I do. If, if, like you said, if he can sit and he takes to the turf, <clears throat> you know, he, he might be tough in here. Uh, because he certainly has the speed to do it. But I I tend to go away from horses like this in races like this because, like you said, he, he's close. But I don't think the turf is, is where this horse is, is really meant. Um, but, it's it, man, it's just such a tough call because you can easily see this horse turning turning everything around and, and 
literally just running all these horses off their feet. Because uh, he's still it, lightly raced with some upside. Neither yes. one of us mentioned Bran in here, who has not run since last year. I think this is a little shorter than where he's at his best. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I, I don't think he, this trip is is ideal like, for this. Horse. He's one of these who who looks like he could be prepping for the Breeders' Cup, right? Mm-hmm. You get a race or two, you get one here, maybe one at Santa Anita, and then you're ready to rock like third off the bench come Breeders' Cup time. Yes, yeah, and that might be the plan. You yeah, know, I think um, so. I think for a couple of these too, and and so you got to be a little careful with the five furlong trip it's different than five and a half than six six and a half was way different sort of layouts here and a key you know, to the race is like the 11 like this is a horse who just can fly fast. yeah can fly um a, a bigger price that i i kind of thought might make some noise here would be the 12 packer sure. wallop um cutting back might be okay for this horse yeah because the the you know the pace sets up to be sharp and this horse is cutting it back from a mile. Um, and if this horse could kind of get to, you know, working his way kind of to the lead. Yeah. 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 Like at the top of the stretch, if he's close at the top of the stretch, he might be tough. He can be out wide a little cutting back, right? Mm-hmm. You can sort of just sort of keep him out in the clear and just try to have him move early. He can give up a few lengths in this type of a spot. I think. Yeah, because okay he's got foundation. Uh, yeah. You know, he's been running Robotic. mile races and and you know, the the workout patterns have been really good, really, you know, like clockwork. I could see this horse kind of jumping up and running a decent race at a decent price from the outside. Cause I think, you know, this one kind of gets lost in the shuffle unless people just straight up bet Flavian Pratt, which is possible. Um, but another, I, another I, where like I think we're going to have a bunch of seven to two shots. Cause I think Matorius <laughs> yeah. and beer can man get bet a little, but I don't think some of the others are going to be completely dismissed, you know? So probably those two get bet a bit, but I, I don't think anyone gets, man, like, yeah, it's just lots it's of ways tough. to go in here again, yeah. <laughs> freaking great sequence at Del Mar. They did a really nice job on Pacific classic day as we move to the big one, the grade one Pacific classic. And in this one, they'll go a mile and a quarter on the dirt. And the three-year-olds are actually sort of the headliners in here. They'll be facing older for the first time. You have go rocket ride. Who's coming off his win in the Haskell. He beat the Kentucky Derby winner mage in there. He also beat Arabian Knight, who is a co three-year-old. Who's going to also be trying older for the first time for trainer, Bob Baffert. You have Skinner. Who's another three-year-old. I think he's a little bit intriguing in here because he's a horse who he's drawn way out wide. I don't think that'll hurt him if he just drops back and makes one late run. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to sit that type of trip. Last time out, he was in a race, a small field where he was chasing reincarnate. So you have a couple three-year-olds who are major headliners in this race. Uh, Barry, others that are players defunded, who's been defeated by uh, Senor Buscador and Slowdown Andy in his last start, but he's been in a lot of these top tier races in the West Coast for the last couple of years. And then you have an older horse like Stiletto Boy, who's <laughs> just always in a lot of the big fights. And he seems like he kind of falls into to nice trips sometimes. He works really hard. Talk to us about the Pacific Classic. At this point, it's like... <laughs> You know, what is a, a grade one ra- race out in California without Stiletto Boy in it? I know. Is yeah. it really a grade one if he's not he's, there? He's, he's not there. Running. It doesn't count. It doesn't exactly. count. Um, 
you know, I, I went through this race over and over and over again, and I was trying to get somebody other than the who I think are the top two, and I couldn't. Um, I, I thought I, I tried to give Skinner an extra long look, but it's hard to take a horse who's basically has one maiden win. Yep. No, you're right. And, you know, kind of going further than he's ever gone before. Doesn't not a good recipe. Plus the, the, the post isn't the greatest. I mean, it's not like he can't overcome that. Um, but they really would have to go supersonic speed uh, for that one to kind of pick up the pieces. It's not impossible, but I, I rate it unlikely. It looks just to me like the, the three-year-olds go rocket ride and Arabian night and everybody else. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't, I think the only, it's funny. I'm going to use the three-year-olds. I'm going to use Skinner who I mentioned a little bit more, but of, of the older horses, the only one I'm going to, th- I think I, um, I don't like to fund it. I'm not going to use to fund it. Um, okay. and, and I'm not really, I just, I don't think he's in a great spot. I don't really think his best races are even at a mile and a quarter. Like he's run well there, but I like, I think stiletto boy could fall into a pretty good spot of the older horses to use sure. in here. He just like, he always fights exactly what happened in the Santa Anita handicap. He sat just off. He fell right into it. If they don't go that fast, he'll go and he'll battle. So of the older, I liked him and the other two I could make a case for would be right next door to each other with the seven and the eight Andy and Senor Buscador. Andy moved early last time. Um, and then Senor Buscador ran him down. Senor Andy's or uh, Senor Andy slow down. Andy is a little, uh, more consistent overall. Senor Buscador is more of a need the trip. And he came flying because they went pretty quick. Uh, but for you, it's, it's mainly go rocket ride Arabian night. I, I I've got go rocket ride. Like this is probably one of the races where I'm, I'm pretty chalky. Yeah, yeah, same with me here. I, I don't, I don't see anybody past those two. Although I, I do think a horse like Katona has some upside. I don't know if this horse would actually like the, the trip as far as the distance. But one thing you can count on with Katona that uh, he he does like to to run hard in the stretch. He's honest. Which, he's super yeah. honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's he's kind of you know for a four year old he, he's kind of coming to his own now. Um, his best he, career he has some upside, yeah. And you know, his last workout is an indication that he's sharp. So I wouldn't discount him. Um, if you're playing, you know, like tries and supers, um, he, he's definitely one to consider at a big price. Go Rocket Ride is a horse that I've liked for a. It's it's I liked him all along. He was going to be my Derby horse. Like after the San Felipe. I was like, this is my Derby horse. That's your guy. I think I think he's gonna run well in the Santa Anita Derby, and I think he's gonna be peaking like at a at a perfect time. And then he had to miss the Santa Anita Derby. So he's he's misses a little bit of time. So when he shows up in the affirmed, he's not at a hundred percent quite yet. That was just a nice starting point for him. And you saw the progression he made into the Haskell, and now he's had time. And you look around at this group of older horses and you say, Who scares you in here? Right? right. I mean, he's Nobody. the five to two morning line favorite and he doesn't have to go and ship across country for any of the other three-year-old races. So he gets to sit right here and he, he just has that perfect running style that you like where he's got enough speed to keep himself in striking range. No matter what the pace shape is, he can save all the ground from the inside. I don't have any concerns about the distance. Uh, third start off the bench. Just he checks a lot of boxes for me. And you know what? In a big field like this, 
he's the type of horse as a favorite who's actually going to end up being sort of an overlay, I think, in multi-race exotics. Because a lot of people probably don't single in a race like this. If you really like him, a lot of people are going three or four or five deep in this big field. But if you play him and you key in on him and you just think he's a standout here, well, you can really spread around in some of the others. And he doesn't play like a four to five favorite that you single in the exotics. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because, you know, um, Arabian Night is going to get a lot of action. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. there's There's a situation where go rocket ride will be your second, second choice. choice. Yep. And that's if London's going to take me. money <laughs> yeah. because he's known he's been, uh, he's like the known commodity at this trip. I think slow down. Andy's going to take money too. I agree. I wouldn't be so, shocked if he's more in the five or six to one range. So to me, go rocket ride. Just, it's a good fit. Everything's like positive for him coming into this. And I didn't love, like I said, I just, I didn't love anybody else enough to, to really feel like I could go against him. Skinner was sort of my wise guy, kind of wild card horse that I'll throw in a pick four or two, but um, I'll, I'll probably build just a lot of stuff around, around go rocket ride here. I think. Yeah. I think I'm the same way. I, I I think that horse is the goods and and he's got a good post. I I think he gets the trip. Yep. Just got to get, you know, Mike Smith does his thing and, and we're all set. I will say Arabian night impressed me in that he's in the Haskell. Top of the lane, he looks done. And he actually yeah, held on pretty well back. for third. Yeah. Like he did come back again. So he's he's got ability too, you know, and he's still lightly raced and a little green figuring things out. So well, the one thing about that is typically Bob Baffert horses don't need a race. No, and that's a good point. <clears throat> um, but there's situations where it actually yeah. happens that they they needed the race they did and the, each each horse one. is individual right but for the most part when we're when we're taking the Baffert horses you're right like usually they give you their best effort first and they don't have as much of a step forward in that second start it might be like the third start back right after they build a little more foundation um when they can take another step forward so yeah plus the other thing is is I'm not sure that Arabian Knight can run faster than he already has That's no and I don't think at, at this this far. Right. Too. Like if you turned him back to a mile, like he might be a really good miler, you know, just oh, yeah. speak with that type of speed. And he might be able to take his like run even faster, just going that far. I don't know about going this far. Like how is he going to have a, any finish here to, to run sort of faster than he has? Right. Uh, like, and that's why go rocket ride style fits a lot better. Absolutely. He's just more versatile. Yeah. Yeah. A little more push button. Go rocket ride. We're the no chalk zone a lot of the time. When we <laughs> when we like a chalk or two, then uh, maybe it's time to jump aboard. Let's see if go rocket ride is the right one in the Pacific Classic. Let's finish up with the fifth of five graded stakes races on Saturday at Del Mar. Race number eleven is the Del Mar Handicap. They're going to go a mile and three eighths in here, Barry. We have Planetario, another uh, Richard Mandela horse who came over from. Uh, who was at Santa Anita, went to the uh, Haskell on Haskell day, was in the United Nations, was five to one, had a kind of bizarre trip. Weird I actually want to yeah. want to show it. Weird um, trip. I, I do think he fits really well in here. And he and uh, even the horse who uh, beat him and he's um, awfully naughty, awfully naughty's connections sort of said um, he had run a mile and a quarter, a mile and a half, a mile and three quarters. And 
uh, the barn said, <laughs> I think he had a, like a little too many furlongs in that last race. It was kind of funny. I thought the quote was funny, but when you think about it, you're like, wow, that was three consecutive races of just going pretty far. It may have just caught up with the horse a little bit at the end. Um, awfully not. He's fresh. I think he's intriguing, but we're looking at the race at Monmouth park. This was the United nations. We're looking at planetario I believe is the six horse in here. And he's sitting in seventh right now, three from the third from the back. So he's got the red cap on, but since he's inside, he's going to be able to like move up pretty nicely, like into contention. We can just go forward a little bit in here and we can see the six on the inside. He's starting to move up and now here he is. And you you can tell what's going to happen because he's sort of in a bad spot. He's moving right up. Can he get in between horses right there? Nope. So he's sort of waiting. You got to tap on the brakes and you're waiting. He wanted to go. And if he shot through right there uh, in that two path and was able to move in between, he would have been able to build up a lot of momentum. He's still waiting here. He can't get to the outside because the ones got him pinned in right there. And he he can't move in inside because there's two horses right there. And now all of a sudden, look at him get shuffled back even farther. And all of a sudden he's just waiting. Now he dives inside. Watch how quickly he moves all the way up inside into contention right here. He's got run. He like ducks down to the inside. He just sort of can't hit it as hard as he could, like all the way up the inside, but he's in third right here. And then he, he loses two necks at the wire and runs fifth. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's real third, deceptive. <laughs> it is right. Cause the third feels a lot better than fifth. When Absolutely. you look at it. And, and it looks, yeah, it looks better, but um geez you know that horse probably should have won that race i know uh because you know when they were going around the turn the the eight was where the six wanted to be yep and if if they didn't get stopped that's where they would have been and maybe maybe not would have won but But at least would have had a great chance to win really close i think he's a player yeah I, i like him in this spot a little bit um as well i i think the the outside kind of takes away from him a little bit i yeah. like off naughty actually kind of a lot yeah me too I, it looks like they have a rabbit in crosby beach too yeah and, and just to ensure that there's going to be a pace for him to run into mm-hmm. um others obviously will take advantage of that as well like Catherine peak who i think has a really really good chance to win and that would too. probably hurt the chances of like azul coast who i think's only shot would be if he gets out front right and if Crosby Beach is in here, they probably push each other. And then that's where it starts setting up for Planetario, Awfully Naughty. Those are my top two for sure. I think they I think they both run really well uh, in this spot. Who yeah. else are we looking at here? I mean, I mean Cash Phoenix, Equity is yeah. another one that has is a is a deep well, closer that might need some space to run into. And and the horse to me that I'm using in closing exotics and everything also is the four. Um Missed the cut. This is a horse whose two races here were both on the dirt. His form overseas in the on the turf is not bad at all. He has a couple monster races going a mile, going a mile and a quarter. Then he stepped up in against a group company, but it was on a soft, like a really soft turf course. And then he was off for a few months. He actually won on the synthetic. They tried him a couple times on the dirt, and he just isn't quite a dirt horse, but third start off the bench. He's got a really cagey turf rider in him, uh, who, uh, Valdivia jr. And he can kind of sit a trip in I, here. 
you know, I looked at this horse really, really long. And I don't know really what I'm going to do with this horse on Saturday. Um, because what puzzles me is why did they not run this horse on, on the grass? The yeah. Why they even took a shot on the dirt yeah. and maybe you wonder, and then, and I don't know, maybe is it, and that's a great question. Is it an owner thing? Is it Sadler wondering, uh, maybe we'll see if we can get a horse to run in the Pacific classic. If he's classy enough, you know, they take a swing at, in the San Diego and know I that mean, you can always come back to the grass because you're looking at his form and you figure like, this is a player wherever he shows up on the grass. It just this is right. kind of a it's like a known spot. commodity, a known yeah. commodity on the grass, and it's not like this horse is a, a, a three year old, which I could see. Like if yep. the horse is a three year old coming over here, you try know, to get into three year old turf stakes races, the ocean side in those races, or you know, right. there's or, three of them, or even you know, you know, grand scheme of things like Travers or something else. Oh yeah, like, on the dirt. dirt oh, if you try on the dirt if it's to get a in the three, dirt. Sure, right. Yeah, if it was a three year old, but this is a four year old horse. You know, it's just a little weird that they didn't just find a spot they could have found a race like that first one on the turf. i know and they were him on the grass a couple times at del mar recently and he's he looks like he's working fantastic um, yeah i'm not sure i mean he, like total you said, wild card. He, he's, he's run lights out over in europe especially at, at a longer trip i mean i don't know uh, that one's a, a, just a, a straight up question mark i'll probably end up using the horse especially because he's at his price is fair enough line, to where yeah, like if you're closing a pick four or pick five you don't want to not have him at that. Yeah, he's price. not going to be favored. He's definitely no, not going to no, be favored. So no. And yeah, I thought he was at least one worth mentioning in here. Missed the cut. The 10 won this race last year. Gold Phoenix. He's classy, but the outside draw could, you know, could make things a little difficult for him. He's making his second start back. He's a grade one winner. Also, um, no, he, he'll come closing. Oh yeah. That's, that's what he does. And you know, it's, it I don't, I don't, I'm not, convinced that he's going to get the the kind of pace no you know i don't of course he can win but i just don't love him in this spot i mean like we've seen awfully naughty's beat him on the square previously when gold phoenix was favored in a first start off the bench situation um you know in his second start back or that was actually in his second start off the bench exactly on april the 4th you know in that whittingham when he was favored lost to awfully naughty so same exact type of situation here yeah i mean wouldn't shock but like others more especially at their prices with him pumped out there in, yeah, if we get like if if Mr. Cut ends up being like ten to one, that might be my play. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he's just a real wild card, and and that's that value could be key in a fantastic sequence of five graded stakes races on Saturday Pacific Classic Saturday over at Del Mar. Couple more things to remind you about uh, the Del Mar handicapping store. Everything you need to succeed every day, there's racing at drf.com. You can get the PPs like we just had for Tra uh, for Pacific Classic Day, Travers Day. I was going to say that was a big day last week over at Saratoga. And that Labor Day sale continues on all the way through Monday. My man, Barry, we got uh, big Mondays going in circles. You guys have been talking a lot about the issues in racing Everything. as of late. Positives, <laughs> negatives, right? We don't sugarcoat it. There's been a lot of... Bad stuff happened in this meet at Saratoga. I think David Aragona said it's just like a nightmare you can't wake up from. It is like things just have been going wrong. Um, what what I like about uh, what you and Chuck's do, uh, you and Chuck Simon do over there, it's not always just complaining. Oh, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. It's what should we do instead? What would a solution be to that? Because I think a lot of people like to 
complain or point things out, but they don't have a solution. They don't know what would work instead or what wouldn't work. A lot of times Chuck will say, Hey, well, look, people will suggest this. That won't work. Or yeah. we should try. Why don't we try this? It's very common sense. Why don't we just try this? You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because myself and Chuck are come from two different worlds. Like literally, like he was on the backside. He, he grew up on the backside. He trained horses for a number of years and was very successful um you know i was on the other side i i you know didn't really pet a horse until i was in my teens um and you know just learning it from a different perspective and then when we both come together you know we can give our perspectives on things and 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 kind of meet in the middle and we sometimes come up with good ideas and uh you know we just want what's best for the sport we want the sport to continue to to thrive and be the greatest thing like we know it is i mean we we've seen it at, at, at its pinnacle um we just want more of that and and hopefully you know we can reach out to the masses and and kind of get some momentum and get this ship going the right direction man i gotta give you a shout out too we've covered over the last like month we've hit all the different tracks right we did a woodbine we did a saratoga we did del mar We've hit them all so far. Horse players, baby. Yeah, well, all over the place. Whatever the big day is, Barry's been joining me to dive into these daily racing forum past performances. And the big day this weekend is at Del Mar Saturday. Five graded stakes that start in race number seven. For whatever you need, head to drf.com. Barry, buddy, good luck to you this weekend. I'll be going back and forth with you all weekend like always. And uh, look forward to to talking some races with you again somewhere next week. We'll figure it out. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. (laughs) I look forward to this every week. it's like, you know, it's, it's part of my schedule. I don't, don't, uh, I got nothing to do usually Thursday between five and seven. Perfect. So this is, we are time that we record. We can always get a look at whatever's big coming up for the weekend. And don't forget stable duel has some big contests this weekend, Friday and Saturday. I sent in some plays, uh, some of the horses that we talked about here as you can use in your stable duel lineup. So good luck, my friend, Barry, good luck to all of you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us again. And, uh, We'll talk some more Del Mar next week, which will be, what, the final week of racing over at Del Mar. A big thank you to Barry for helping us out with Del Mar on the big Saturday. Keep rolling on a busy Saturday. It's Super Derby at Louisiana Downs. The race is back after a few years, and there's a field of seven horses lining up. So we dive into each of these runners. We talk all about them, give you a profile, talk about their recent races, a little bit about their pedigree. Let's meet the field for the Super Derby on Saturday at Louisiana Downs. After a couple year hiatus, the Louisiana Super Derby is back at Louisiana Downs. It is back at a mile and an eighth on the dirt. $200,000 up for grabs this weekend on Saturday out at Louisiana Downs. So I wanted to do a Super Derby deep dive and take a look at the field assembled for the Super Derby this year. Daily Racing Forum is having a Labor Day sale this weekend all the way through September the 4th. You can take advantage all the way up to 11.59 p.m. Past performances, DRF picks, clocker reports, digital paper, all on sale at different discount prices up to 50%. 
head to drf.com. Or if you're watching this on YouTube or on Twitter, there's a direct link for the sale. You can click right on that and uh, we'll get you all ready for that Labor Day sale. Let's talk about Louisiana down super derby. The big one is back. Congratulations to Kevin Preston and the entire team over there at Louisiana Downs for getting the Super Derby back. Now, this race has some incredible history. As we've had horses like Ali Sheba seeking the gold, Sunday Silence, Tis Now win the Super Derby. It'll take a few years to get back to that status, but this year we have some big barns that send horses. And we have some up-and-coming horses, in particular one that I like, in this year's Super Derby. So let's go through the entire field for this one. The number one is Machine Gun Man. He last raced at Ellis or at Evangeline Downs. He got the lead. He cleared. Uh, horse Strong Eagle, who finished third, loomed up. Looked like he was going to go right by. And Machine Gun Man just kicked on. Opened back up. He got a 92 buyer speed figure in winning that race. And he's won pretty impressively in two races going a mile where he's gotten the lead and just kicked on. The races where he's been against Stakes Company, though, he hasn't performed quite as well. You see, he was in the Sugar Bowl. He was well defeated that day in the Lafayette, well behind Ghost Hero. So he's now going to have to go a mile and an eighth. He'll go farther than he's ever been, and he'll have to deal with some speed to his outside. I don't know how much he wants to sit. I think he's going to be pretty one-dimensional, especially with that inside draw. So I think he ensures that this is going to be a fast pace. And then just at a quick glance, we'll go through these horses like the two. Donegal wants to be close up. Donegal Arrow sat last time, but I don't think he wants to be too far out of it. Um, Promise Me a Ride is really quick. And I think No White Flags wants to sit close. So they, they could be moving in this race. Machine Gun Man. Six to one on the morning line here. The number two is Tiz Donegal. And the two and the three both are in here for Donegal Racing. They come out of the same race at Evangeline. It was a muddy track on July the 22nd. First up, let's talk a little more about Tiz Donegal. So we can actually watch the race because they're both in it. Tiz Donegal and Donegal Arrow. So Tiz Donegal is the one. Donegal Arrow is the seven. Let's talk about the one. Who's close up from the inside. He has the rail draw here. And he's going to push through to kind of battle for the lead from the inside. Um, It's a muddy track. Keep in mind. And there are two to his outside that are pressing him. So now the one is inside with two horses to his outside. Donegal Arrow, the seven, is going to take back a little bit here. And Donegal Arrow is now in the fourth spot in in that second tier. I think that's the key. That's why Donegal Arrow was able to win this race because he's able to sit in the second flight. Look at those top three. They're going right at each other across the track. So this is a pretty good effort from Tiz Donegal in the career debut. Draws the rail on a muddy track. Has to push through and deal with two other horses to his outside pressuring him. He puts those two horses away. Wins the battle of all the speeds, but he can't hold off his stable mate who gets a better trip. And I don't even know how much Donegal Arrow wants to sit. You can see he comes off the pace a little bit here. He kind of strikes the front, the front and he's a little green. The seven. One's trying to battle on down inside as they run one-two in this race at Evangeline. 
And then they both come back here They're both going to have to stretch out This was 7 furlongs So now they're going to go from 7 furlongs on a sloppy track To a mile and an eighth at Louisiana Other positives about Tiz Donegal Dam was a multiple stakes winner as a New York bred He's also a half to a horse who was a New York bred stakes winner And he has three siblings that are all winners Fine pedigree So we'll see if uh, what Actually one more look at the pedigree Just because The dam was a winner going a mile and an eighth As was a sibling Stakes winner So the distance shouldn't be a problem For Tiz Donegal And he should be forwardly placed I thought that was a very honest effort For the career debut Like coming out of that race I would actually prefer Tiz Donegal than Donegal Arrow Based on what I think could be upside with Tiz Donegal Donegal Arrow Former Brad Cox trainee Moved into this barn Barn who has both the two and the three It scores Is a half to uh, The dam Was a one time a single winner Scores a half to a horse named Dream Dance Who was multiple graded stakes place Was actually in the Kentucky Oaks And Donegal Arrow Did show us that he can come from off the pace a little bit I just don't know if he's Going to be able to sit going a mile in an eighth but we do know he can get an off track if the track comes up muddy and if it's raining. Positives for Donegal Arrow. I like the four quite a bit in here, Big Data. Uh, he's a horse who's just done so little wrong in his entire career. He has seven career races. Let's go through them. You can start in his career debut. He finished second in a race where there were two next out winners. So two horses that came back to win their next start. The horse who beat him was named Lord Miles. Shout out Andrew Champagne. One of his uh, signature moments when Andrew had this horse at 60 to 1 to win the Wood Memorial. But so Lord, he loses to Lord Miles in his debut. Big data. So he loses to an, a future graded stakes winner and a nice horse. In his second start, he comes back and is a very good second that day. How about the third start? January the 14th. Look who is in this race. The winner, Kings Barnes, comes back and is the grade two Louisiana Derby winner. Runs in the Kentucky Derby Was only 11-1 to 1 in there Look who's fourth in this race Archangelo Since the race where Archangelo was fourth He's won his next four starts Broke his maiden, won the Peter Pan, won the Belmont, won the Travers And Big Data was not far behind Archangelo in that race Where Kings Barnes and Archangelo were in there He then runs into On May the 11th Il Miracolo he just won the Smarty Jones at Parks. The grade three Smarty Jones earned a 98 buyer speed figure in doing so. Look at the company this horse has kept. So it looks deceiving when you when you see big data. Oh, he's never been in a stakes race. But in his debut, he lost to a grade two winner. In his third start, he was behind a grade two winner, Kings Barnes, and a multiple grade one winner, Archangelo. In his fourth start or fifth start, he's behind Il Miracolo, who's a grade three winner. In... The June 4th race, he finishes behind West Coast Cowboy, who is multiple graded stakes placed. He was the runner-up in the West Virginia Derby. He was third in the Florida uh, in the Holy Bull. Look at the company this horse has kept. All of these horses are legitimate stakes horses, graded stakes horses, and he's been right there and competitive in almost all these races. The only one was that January 14th race, which was a really tough race, and that race sent him to the bench. So he's off for a couple months following that. And look at his speed figures. He's almost progressed in every single race. The only time he didn't was that January 14th race. If you just eliminate that race off of the board, he's shown progression in every single one of his races. 
51 up to 68, 76, 78, 80, 87. So can he take one more step forward here? Let's watch his race last time out. Another major positive for him is his running style. He has speed, but he can sit off the pace, and that's what he's been doing more recently. He's been tracking. His early on, he his second start, he was speedy. So I wasn't I wasn't sure if that was the type of horse he was, but no, he's very patient. He sits nicely. He's the number two in here. He was sort of wrangled back a bit in the inside, and he was last in this small field early on, but he pushes through. And he just waits third, fourth, and now he settles. Like, he wanted to go here, you could see, but he takes him back and he settles him down a little bit. This is the mark of a horse getting more patient, getting more mature, and he just waits nicely behind horses. And if you look at the way this race shapes up on paper, the Louisiana Super Derby, with Machine Gun Man, Tiz Donegal, possibly Donegal Arrow, Promise Me a Ride, all of them have good speed. Maybe even no white flags. It looks like there are two for sure closers in this race. And this one is one of them, Big Data. And why I like him more than how did he do that, who we'll talk about next. He has more tactical speed. Watch Big Data now. Opening inside, boom, shoots through. And now he's able to draw off. And opens up here. And he puts away the 6-5 to five favorite. I feel like he's going to get this type of a trip where he's able to sit behind the leaders. He can probably get the jump on the horse who we'll talk about next. How did he do that? One bad race in his career. It was in a loaded field. There's a race we can just probably eliminate. Everything else has been good. Very honest. Big data. Should be able to sit behind. One, maybe two, three, and six. Possibly even seven. Four gets the trip. Gets the jump on the five. That's how I'm playing this race. Let's talk about how did he do that? So he's the only stakes winner in the field. He's actually a multiple stakes winner. We can go through some of his races because he's actually faced some nice horses in here. Look in the Smarty Jones. He's behind Victory Formation and Angel of Empire, who was your Kentucky Derby favorite Angel of Empire. Grade one Arkansas Derby winner and Risen Star winner. Hasn't really run a bad race this year. Victory formation was very good at that time too And very fast So how did he do that was behind them Then at Sunland A few times he runs right next to One in Vermilion, Who we saw come back and win the Jerkins That was the very sad race Where New York Thunder went down And was probably going to win that race And one in Vermilion came closing late And was able to get the victory When the horse went down But he earned a big speed figure that day and that was a very good race. And, and it showed us that one in Vermilion is a legitimate graded stakes horse. Even had he not won that race, he performed well enough to show he belongs with that company. And how did he do that? Has beat one in Vermilion and has dead heated with this horse on uh, July the 8th in the Iowa Derby. They were, uh, there was a dead heat and one in Vermilion was DQ'd. So how did he do that one that day? So he's a two-time stakes winner. Nobody else in the field has won a stakes race. Victory Formation, Angel of Empire, one in Vermilion. He beat West Coast Cowboy in the Iowa Derby. That's the West Coast Cowboy who beat Big Data. So if we want to play that game, he was in front of the horse who's been in front of Big Data. And I don't have many knocks on him in this field because I think he should get a really good setup. It's just his running style. He used to have more speed early on in his career, but since he stretched out to the mile races and longer, the last, what, six, seven races in a row, he's just had no early speed at all. And he's become a stone-cold closer. 
that's what concerns me a little bit in here. Now, he should get a great trip. He should get a great setup. It's not the biggest field in the world, so there may not be a bunch of traffic for him. But I'm 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 always going to take the horse who gets the jump versus the horse who's going to be a few lengths behind him. And that's what I see for big data versus how did he do that? Last out, he was off slow. He finished seventh in that race. He just had nothing, really. So that's a little concerning, too. He's coming off a poor performance in a race where he was only four to one. Nine to five on the morning line. How did he do that? Multiple stakes winner, the horse they'll have to hold off in the Super Derby. The number six is Promise Me a Ride. He's won two of his four starts, and he's won those two races impressively. I think I'm, I think he's a little, I think he's a tad overrated and is going to be undervalued in this race. Let's look at his two wins. Both of them come in races that were scheduled for the turf, and they're taken off the grass. So look at this race. It had one. The, look at where I'm look, uh, down at the bottom. Scratched. This is all the horses that were entered in this race that were scratched. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight horses scratched out of this race. So it was initially supposed to be a big field on the grass. Eight horses scratch out of it. It ends up being a field of five on the dirt and promise me a ride crushes. Then he steps up. He faces better. Slow start. Nowhere to be found. Tries the turf. Shows speed that day. It was an okay effort. Finished fourth at Ellis on July the 9th. That was his first start back in a couple months. Then on August the 4th, same exact thing happened as his first win. It was a race that was scheduled for the, tur- for the turf. Look at how many scratches. Protégé, man- uh, Smoky Mandate, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. All scratched out. Ends up being a field of five. Again, so... In a race that was supposed to be on the grass, it's not. All the horses that are the better horses and the good grass horses all scratch out of the race, and he's left with just a field of five, and he crushes. So his two wins have both been in off-the-turf races where eight horses in those races scratched, and he gets easy leads. Is he going to get that type of a trip in here? I mean, the one's fast. Both the two and the three are stretching out from sprints. They want to go. I could see him... Maybe just being faster than everybody else, but I don't know. I just, I got to make him prove it to me at a shorter price in here. Promise me a ride. Some of the horses that he's been, uh, that he's faced, you see Bo Cruz, who is third. It was third in the grade three, Matt Wynn, uh, behind Disarm and Verifying. Then Bo Cruz was disappointing in that Iowa Derby. Promise me a ride. He'll be a player here, but I'm going to go elsewhere. Rounding out the field. You have no white flags. His dam was grade three placed going a mile and a 16th. He'll try to go a little bit farther here. Positive for him. He is the only horse in the field with a race at Louisiana Downs on this Louisiana Downs main track. And he has two of them and he's won both of them. Last time out, he was inside and about eight lengths off early. He tried to get off the rail. He moved in between horses. He got caught in the flight of four and he moved up into contention. He was behind horses again. He was a little bit flat late. He steps up. He will need to improve. I'm wondering what type of trip is he looking for from out here? Went to sit behind some of the speeds, maybe the same sort of trip that uh, Big Data is looking for. Goes a mile and an eighth for the first time. No white flags. I'm all over the four. Big Data. The Super Derby is back. It will go as race number seven on Saturday. Good luck. 4.53 p.m is uh, 5.53 p.m. Eastern Time, 4.53 local time for the Super Derby on Saturday. Good luck playing this weekend at Louisiana Downs. Hopefully we helped 
steer you in the right direction here. Don't forget that Labor Day sale at drf.com up to 50% off on past performances, picks, clocker reports, digital paper, all the tools you need to succeed as a handicapper. Good luck in the Super Derby this weekend. That does it for the Saturday racing. Now we'll shift the focus on over to NFL. We get into the NFC North for our final division preview. If you've missed any of our earlier previews, every episode over the last two months, each week, we previewed a different division. So we started in the AFC, we went through the four divisions there, and now we finish up with the NFC North. The Lions are favored this year. The Lions, the Vikings, the Packers, the Bears, we preview all of these teams individually with Eric. He's a big Lions fan. How does he think his team should fare this year? Let's talk NFC North. Finishing up our NFL team-by-team previews, we are on to the NFC North. And then next week, around this same time next week, I don't know, Wednesday, Thursday, one of those days, we'll be previewing week one of the NFL season. Can you believe that, Eric? Are uh, you ready to rock, my friend? Dude, it is crazy to think. That is where we are now. That is, yeah, it's already here. I mean, all this prep and everything, and it kind of like sneaks up on. Have you me. done any fantasy drafts yet? I did one fantasy draft last week. I did two so far. I hate doing them this early. They're not ones that I set up. One of them is one. I understand why they do them. One of uh, they're both drafts. I think where um, people like to to do a lot of them in person. So some of the people are from out of town and like they come in town. So they sort of schedule it around when a lot of the people are going to be around. And then the other one I did, I've never done before. I'm um, doing for the first time, uh, a, the guillotine league. Have you ever done one of those? No, but I've always wanted to. Yeah. So I, I'll, I tried it out this year. I'll let you know. It's fun. This one, you know, and be the, the thing that's difficult about them, they're 18 team leagues, yep. you know, because you have to have one for each week. Everyone gets eliminated one per week. So Man, you start getting down to your like sixth, seventh pick, you're already in the nitty gritty. So, um, I mean, chickens are slim, and it's all yeah, yeah. I I hate it. Was one of those things with like the one I drafted, like because I always my strategy is I always go in basically with the top three to five picks, I'm gonna take the highest rated person on my draft board. That's just my mindset. Yeah, I think so too. I'm not gonna. Then I'll, yeah, then you kind of, then I'll sort of judge based on like every draft is different, right? Sometimes there's a run of certain positions where you look at your tiers and it's like, hey, I better get one of these guys soon, probably a little higher than I would have wanted, you know, or, and it's funny because you'll do a lot of prep work and then, you know, sometimes you'll have a league with one of your, some of your friends and then your friends will always grab certain players and they'll do it really early and then it throws everything out of whack, you know, and like all the prep we've done. You one know? guy thought it was a super flex. He could <laughs> one guy in our in, in the one I did thought it was a super flex. <laughs> so he went like second round and third round back to back, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. And everyone's like, What the like, heck? What are you doing? And then that forced other people to panic. Because they're and other Every... people started going quarterback heavy. Oh, that's so, so funny. It got to the so here I am, and you know how much I freaking hate Tua. Yeah, and he's just... And it's coming around to me, and I'm like, God damn it. And the only quarterbacks on the board were Tua, Russell Wilson, and Dak Prescott. So yeah. I was like, okay, math-wise says I have to take Tua, but yeah. two in front of me, someone took Tua. So then oh. I got greedy. 
I like took somebody out. Like I forget what positional player I took. It's coming back to me. I'm like, okay, you're gonna take Dak. Someone, someone who already drafted Mahomes drafted Dak. So now, oh my gosh. So like I'm just like, oh, you know, it's one of those things. Like I'm, I mean, I, I have Diggs, Adams, and Ridley, so I'm loaded at the wide receiver position. So. Yeah, maybe you have to make a trade, or you know, you'll see how things shake out. Uh, maybe you'll stream. Right, I have Russell. There. I have Russell Wilson as my quarterback. You're all, you're all in on the Broncos this year now, so you're just going to be driving that Russ bus even more this year. You're going to be stretching on the planes. I hate Up, it. I you're going to be stretching during the, in the aisles, doing uh, doing leg warm ups all over the place. Okay, let's get into the NFC North. This is Eric's team, the Detroit Lions. Eric, are you ready for this? The Lions are favored in the NFC North. How different is this than the last few years of your life? Over under nine and a half right now for the Lions. And we can talk about them in two different ways, right? Because as a Lions fan or just as overall perception, it's very scary when there's a team that's generally been one of the lower teams in the division and now all of a sudden they're favored. Right, that that like that right right there, you 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 don't feel like you're getting a lot of value on the Lions. Then on the flip side, if you took the name off of the Lions and you were just looking at teams rosters, the way teams ended last year, coming into this year, um, you know adjustments, things like that, I do think the Lions are the deserving favorite in this division. We'll see how much it shakes out at the end, like how much they're favored by. But I really do think they had. The, the most positive coming into the season as a fan got to be a little weird, right? Seeing them at, up top there and, and seeing their win total, like nine and a half and around there. It's weird. I really don't know what to do here. Like this is <laughs> territory for me. Um, it's kind of weird. And when you look at the lions, their offense is pretty simple. You lean on the offensive line when they need to throw the ball, they use most motion and play action passing with the whole idea to get the ball out of Goff's hands as soon as possible. He was top five in the league in passing yards after catch. What does that mean? Short, intermediate-type passes, let the wide receivers do their work. And what they did, it was smart. He was a pro bowler, 29 touchdown passes, seven interceptions. He did not have one interception after week nine. Over the final nine games of the year, 15 touchdowns to zero interceptions last year. They're putting him in good spots. And like you said, that offensive line, their top five, they could be – if healthy, like the best offensive line, they, yeah, they had some really. like some interior problems last year because of some injury issues. And they still were top 10, even with all of those problems, they have a really high ceiling at offensive line. Yeah. I really, I really like their offensive line. Um, but with how, with the motion and the short yardage stuff, that kind of makes sense. Why St. Brown is so valuable to their offense. Cause he does work the underneath. He's not the field stretcher. In Marvin Jones is going to play that role until Williamson. So while we're talking but, wide receivers, right? Let's hit, let's hit, let's hit them right there because that's been a question for a lot of people. You've got your number one in Amon Ross St. Brown, who has been incredible. Uh, he was number two of all wide receivers in um, in um, uh, in in routes. Uh, excuse me, in rate and elu- seventh in elusiveness. So he was really, really good in. A lot of your major statistics, he has some incredible like counting stats as well as some of the advanced stats. But then after him, that's where there's a lot of question marks, right? Because Marvin Jones Jr. is like a solid vet. Jamison uh, Williams is going to be suspended 
for the first six games. Yeah, and he has some sort of hamstring injury too, so we don't even know how and, much he's gonna. Yeah, it's that. like he's he's hard to count on, right? Yeah. He's like especially you, we're talking about what's gonna happen for this team to start the year. We're not counting on him to start. Where they have been rumored to be looking to throw the ball a lot is Gibbs, right? Someone who they're splitting out wide in camp in the slot regularly, someone who should be featured as a receiver quite often. You kind of wondered why a lot of people wondered why they used a draft pick so early on that type of a player. And maybe it's because they just have huge plans for using this guy in multiple ways. They do. And I personally, my thing is I really don't think people realize how good David Montgomery is. When you look at the numbers he put up behind the subpar offensive line in Chicago and you see the coaching staff he averaged 300 yards receiving and 902 yards rushing per season and when you like just look at the coaching staffs and the lines he was the offensive lines he was running behind that's absolutely insane in terms of fantasy production you just kind of look at it year by year last year he finishes RB 21 missing one game the the 2021 missing three games RB 20 2020, he was RB6. 2019, he was 20, running back 22. I think he's kind of the fantasy player you want to target here. Just because, like, the draft I did, Gibbs went high second round. To me, when it's going to be like a 50-50, maybe even Montgomery even getting more work if the Lions offense is good, because I think he's going to be the guy that gets the work inside the 20. I think it's a little too high for Gibbs in terms of fantasy taking him that high. I think Monty is more of the, uh, the value. Kind of sa- well, he's kind of safe. He's definitely the safer play, right? Like yeah. you, you've seen him contribute. Like Gibbs ceiling is super high. Like this guy could end up being like wide receiver two for them. He could, right? But like, you know, like Josh Reynolds is here. Josh Reynolds. Is yeah, with you're right. Sense. There's a couple so different mouths to feeds too. Like there's Raymond. enough vets. Raymond, there in the room. Raymond's like just the dude. Raymond's like a poor man's Jamison Crowder. Someone that's always going to be on the team. And reliable. And plus they got Sam Laporta. Who's that was going to ask about him because it's, it's not easy for rookie tight ends. Right. But he's been getting rave reviews. And, but also like with how they run the offense, it's not the deep stuff. It's more of the inside in the slot wide receiver stuff. There's not much the outside. Maybe they'll get some stuff to Gibbs coming out of the backfield. But in my eyes, Brown and Laporta are going to be the guys you kind of want to look at for the offensive line. Um, excuse me. Um, you mentioned it. They didn't have Vitae last year. That really helped. That really hurt them. With him coming back, it's going to sure up the inside of it. Defensively, I think they're going to take a step forward this year, and I really think the yeah. reason they're going to take a step forward is because their DBs that they had last year didn't fit the system that they were playing. Now they actually have DBs that kind of fit the system they're playing. Um, the My issue with the Lions is this. I really feel you need two guys that can rush the quarterback. Now, Gibbs may be great and everything. He may have a great year, but with the defensive players that were still on the board, why didn't they draft somebody to pair with the Hutchinson? So now you have a two-headed monster rushing the quarterback. That was the thing that was a head-scratcher to me because I think they need to have another pass rusher kind of develop because if they don't, you're going to allow people to double-team Hutch, and that's you know what I mean. They they need someone to step up. That's my Could worry. Be Houston, who last year had a pretty good year, right? He had uh, he only played seven games between him and Hutchinson. They had seventeen and a half sacks. A lot of the metrics and a lot of the places that I'm reading 
really think the defensive line ha- ha- like has a high ceiling too. I think a lot of that has to do with Hutchinson, right? Him taking that next step forward. But but you're absolutely right. It can't be all him. It has to be Houston contributing again. Bugs, Kaminsky, McNeil. Um, that that could be like. Th- the good teams that we see every year, the teams that become really good and really consistent are teams that are good on the in the trenches, right? You know every year it's a good place to start when it's like you have a good offensive line and a good defensive line. You can fill in some of the other skill position players if you're solid in those spots. And yeah, Detroit's I mean, getting closer to being there, right? The offensive side, you feel really good about the offensive line. The defense now, you at least have a... a a leader there in Hutchinson. And now can you get a little bit more? I know. And then you drafted Campbell, you know, I think he's going to be really good in the linebacker position. The kid from last year too, Malcolm, right? Was a kid that they like from Rodriguez. Yeah. Kirby Joseph was an absolute steal in the draft. So, I mean, they're starting to get the right pieces. This is definitely like, they definitely need to see the step forward being made. And I know like, how was the word? All these teams in the um, the, north. In the north, offensively, they have stuff they can do well. It's the defenses that have a lot of questions when you look at all these teams in the north. So you need a defense that's going to be able to stop. Packers have that great 200 monster with Dylan and uh, Aaron Jones. Bears have Fields, who's going to be all over the place running, who's going to be hard to prep against. And the Vikings have Justin Field, Justin Jefferson, excuse me. And now you so, drafted the rookie at, you know, who yeah. also should help them a little bit from the kid from so SC last year. So kind of need a, you need to be able to be good on defense here because is, the offenses in this division are going to be pretty good. So it's going to be interesting to see, like, can another pass rusher develop? Can their secondary finally cover because now they have the, have the pieces. I mean, I think getting Brian branch was an absolute steal of a pick. They're able to get him in the second round. I really like him. Kirby Joseph year two Gardner Johnson. They got some pieces. So we'll have to kind of see what, what's going, what's going on. I think I said, when I said Houston before I was talking about James Houston on the the edge. Yeah. So, so between like I, I, like you said, it's now the, the, the thing with this team is, like there's a lot of positives in a lot of places. Now they go from being the fun underdog team to, okay, people are gonna are expecting you to be a good team this year. Now, like you're going, you're like now, it's now come the expectations. Different. It's yeah. way different when you go in there and people are actually circling you as a competitive game. So Goff now he's gonna have to deal with that. Um, some other points to mention about the Lions. Amon Ra tied the NFL record 196 catches through the first two seasons. He had 20 red zone targets last year, tied for seventh, five touchdowns out of those targets. The defense, they were terrible, but we talked about some of the improvements. They were 28th in points allowed, dead last in yards allowed, 30th in passing defense, 30th in third down stop rate. They bring in Sutton, Mosley, Gardner Johnson, secondary. You mentioned a lot of the improvements. Kirby Joseph, a lot of buzz for his work in camp. Good offensive line, solid defensive line, two new running backs who give them a lot of different looks and complement each other well. Receiving room, question marks, but kind of a lot of it seems like a lot of people can maybe fill into the two three spot. Like they might not have like a number two and number three wide receiver right now, but there's like four or five guys, it seems like Eric, who can all sort of combine for the production behind Amon Ra, right? Yeah. Um 
that's what they need. And also, I don't know, like Brock Wright, maybe they do some two tight end sets to kind of do take take some pressure. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe yeah. it's not as many three wide three wide because sets. Because we we definitely believe in their offensive coordinator, and that was a big win for you guys, Johnson, right? Ben Johnson coming back. He was a he was someone who was a kind of a hot head coaching candidate because of how good the the Lions' offense was last year. Um, other positives. They face a bottom five schedule of defenses this year. So uh, that should help their offense based on their schedule. They're not facing really, really, really tough defenses. They've covered 70% against the spread over the last two years. They've been an awesome ATS team. They're looking to win their first division title since 1993. They have never won a division in the four division format per conference, which is crazy. Crazy. Um, Fifth last year in points per per game, fifth in offensive DVOA, fifth in passing, sixth in offensive EPA per. And guess what, Eric? I'm very excited to uh, tell you that uh, Football Outsiders was closed down. So there haven't been any updates on there. Um, I guess they weren't getting funding. So it didn't look like there was going to be DVOA until yesterday. The creator of DVOA made an announcement that he's taking DVOA with him. Uh, and I signed up already right away yesterday uh, for it. So all the DVOA metrics and all the the pool from or the table from the last you know years are there. And then every week DVOA will be up there again. So uh, I'll make sure that you have all the uh, the logins and stuff for that, so we can check on that. That'll that'll be nice to use. It's always a good uh, a good metric to have each and every year. Man, your Lions. I mean, they're they're at the very least right like in a it's it's a competitive division even if you're not a team even if you're not high on the lions it's hard to really be for sure high on any of these teams right no none of these teams on paper are like a super bowl contender and that's what makes this division wide open it's it's really intriguing but the lions sitting atop let's go through their schedule a little bit eric they have it's not easy because they do have some tough road games. They have to take care of their business at home. They have games at Kansas city at green Bay on a short week at Baltimore, at the chargers, at the saints, at the Cowboys. But I mean, like right now, as of right now, and this is the 30th of August, Chris Jones isn't in camp. Chris Jones, not being there is an and, absolute. And if you for the lions, you want to play the team, Kansas city, it's week one, because they don't have a lot of familiarity with the receivers yet, right? They're, they're kind of a new group. We're going to have to see what the what the hierarchy is over there after Kelsey. So, you know, it's not a bad time to catch them right away. It, it's not as if they can't win some of those games, but not easy games on the road. They have five standalone games, primetime games, three Thursday games, a Monday night game, and a Saturday game. I have them winning 10 games this year. Um, I've got them... 10, 10 to like 10 to even pot. I had them more like 10 and a half, like more over 10 than under. Um, Where do you got them? I got them 10 too. Yeah. So the lions can they get to double digit wins? That could be key for them making the playoffs this year as we move. Anything else you want to talk about your, uh, your boys before we move along to the Vikes? Nope. Let's hit the Vikings over under for them around eight and a half. Let's talk about Minnesota, who overachieved incredibly last year. Uh, very lucky team. 13 wins, 11 of them 
coming by one score or less. They again so look like they have a week. Go ahead. Just to piggyback what you're saying, there's this thing I look at called the Pythagorean win theory in the NFL, which it kind of looks at like points scored over points scored plus points given up multiplied by the games. So usually, like if it's if with the if it's within one, okay, a team is due for like regression. No, it's or, to be the same. It's to be the yeah, same. But to be like, the same, if it's like a three, plus, yeah. If it's like one or if it's two or higher regression, if it's plus two or higher regression, if it's minus two or lower, the Vikings were 13 and four last season. Their Pythagorean win total was Was it just over eight? Yep. I I had this one on my notes too. Yeah. (laughs) 8.32 minus 4.68 biggest difference in the league. And we saw that with our eyes and that with all of the advanced metrics too. This team had a secondary that was really, really bad. Um, They need Davenport and Hunter to bounce back. Davenport only had half of a sack last year. They signed him to a one-year $13 million deal, hoping he can kind of bounce back. Um, They, The interior offensive line was bad, but where they really struggled too, defensively, they were Bad, bad, bad in the secondary. They were just bad overall, period. And they bring in Flores now. He was the defensive coordinator in New England, and then he was the head coach. And when he – he's actually called plays as a defensive coordinator too, even when he was the uh, – I think the linebackers coach. He called a lot of blitzing, lots of pressure, put the corners on the island. Pats ranked eighth in blitz rate when he called plays. And then the Dolphins ranked 13th, second, and first in blitz rate in the three years last year, uh, last year, the Vikings were 31st in yards allowed. So they bring in cornerback uh, Murphy jr. Good fit for a zone heavy defense. And they lose a lot of veteran players, you know, Zedaria Smith, Adam Thielen, Eric Kendricks, Tomlinson, Patrick Peterson. They do bring back all five starters from the offensive line, but they have a couple players at right guard and center that weren't great. And, they they won 10 games despite trailing by 70 combined points heading into the fourth quarter. They had nine comeback wins when they trailed at halftime. And they, they had the largest comeback in NFL history. They weren't good in any metrics. They were 20th in offensive DVOA. They were 27th in defensive DVOA. Just a team that was really, really lucky. They lose Dalvin Cook, who you now Madison's got to step up and be RB1 this year. Some of his metrics looks good, but I don't know. Now they have to lean on him. Talk to us a little bit about the Vikings, Eric. I hate it when I'm wrong, and I was wrong with my bet on this team last year with their win total under and for them not to play at the playoffs, but I kind of feel I was right just with how insanely lucky they were. Absolutely were. What were they, 10-0 in one score game? 11-0. 11-0 with a negative point differential. This team is due for aggression this season. Cousins looked good last season, and if there was a year he could have gotten the Vikings to the Super Bowl, I really feel last year was the year with the way everything broke. But they came up short versus the Giants. Giants. Dalvin Cook is gone, and I know there's a lot of talk about Alexander Madison taking over the backfield. He's going to be this god. He's going to be a fantasy football darling and everything. But the name to remember is Curtis Mockins. Who is he? He is their running back coach. Um, 
Booker from the Broncos, Philip Lindsay from the Broncos. He's known from taking these guys that no one's absolutely heard of to making them something. The Vikings used their used two years ago on Chandler last year on McBride, these running backs. So it wouldn't surprise me if by the end of the year, Ty Chandler or Dwayne McBride are the running backs that lead someone to a fantasy football championship. Um, I know people think that Jordan Addison is going to step into the number two role and be the second leading receiver. But I really think this is going to, it's going to be TJ Hawk. It's Hawk. Yeah. Hawk will be it. It like Addison will still get some open looks. I think he'll have a productive year, but I don't know if he will be quite as like, like every game, you know, five catches plus that type of guy. Hawkinson was very good when they shifted over to him last year. And I think they're going to focus on him again. I mean, cause when you look at hot, he had an insane 86 targets in seven games in Minnesota. That's just absolutely positively insane. And we need to remember when looking at the offense, this isn't an offense that's going to throw the ball down the field. You know what I mean? It's more of a short dink and dunk type thing. And the way they do it is it's just a little bit weird. It's completely different. They do the pass to set up the run. Yeah. Which is completely different than people realize. And on top of that, if we just kind of look at the numbers last year, they played a full game more and the Vikings had 40 less rushing attempts, which kind of, kind of shows that kind of shows they're not running the ball as much as they have in the past. The O-line is solid on the left side with Denison and Cleveland but Ingram was a wreck at the right guard position. Bradbury was okay at center. They'll need to see improvement for this offense to take the next step forward. You mentioned the blitz. They were at the bottom 10 last year in the league of blitzing. So look, with Flores coming in, they're going to lead to more blitzing, like you mentioned. And what does that do? That forces the DBs to be in on an island, locking down one-on-one coverage. When we look at this DB roster, who's that? That's because they really have nobody. You know what I mean? They really have no one. So I really think early on in the season, before DraftKings FanDuel adjust with their prop numbers and in DFS, this is going to be the team we have to look to attack. Like last year, we talked about the commanders doing and 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 even even play maybe on both sides too, right? Because they're going to be involved in games where they're probably down giving up points and having to come back and score. And their offense should be able to at least throw the ball, right? With Cousins, with Jefferson. Cousins is kind of an underrated quarterback a lot of times. And in weeks to week, he could be a good DFS play against some other poor defenses that, that have good offenses yeah, like this team, right? DFS play. Let's say, like, who? I don't have their schedule in front of me. Who are they playing week one? Yeah, they got Tampa week one. Well, um, you could go, like, Mike Evans and then run it back with Cousins. Yeah. Absolutely. Tampa, they got Phil at Philly in a short week in week two. But then after that, you know, you got the Chargers, Carolina, Kansas City. That could be a game where, you know, they're home for Kansas City. That could be a, a, a fun, high scoring game. They got a game at San Francisco at home. Um, they, yeah, new home against New Orleans uh, at Atlanta. Those could be really fun scoring games for them. So, yeah, this could be a team to attack throughout. But I just, I can't play anything positively for them because like you said i'm expecting their regression now i have them at like seven to eight wins 
just looking at their schedule, their over under is seven and a half. So that's, or I think their over under is eight and a half. So um, they have two Monday games, a Thursday game. They have games. This is what is tough though. It's a tough schedule because they were a first place team last year. They play at Philly against the chargers. They have a game against the chiefs, a game against the 49ers at green Bay at Atlanta at Denver at Cincinnati and versus the saints. Honestly, starting in week two, through week 11, what's difficult is they don't have very many easy games. They have six road games, four home games, and the home games are Chargers, Chiefs, 49ers, and Saints. And then all the road games won't be easy. Even games like at Chicago, at Carolina, at Atlanta, at Green Bay. Like Green Bay and Chicago aren't the easiest places to play when they have competent teams. So, I don't love their schedule because they're sort of having to deal with having a tougher schedule. And like we said, you, you pointed out with the Pythag there with the Pythag win total, they just are so ripe to come back to life this year. Yeah. I, and I'll be honest. I don't think O'Connell is that good of a coach. Um, I, they could be a way better team, Eric. They could be a better team on all the metrics and have eight or nine wins. Like they could and, be way better on both sides of the ball and just not as lucky. What I did here is my two bets with them are this. I did them under eight and a half wins at plus one twenty-five. I just think that they're gonna struggle. They're gonna come back to earth. Yep. A lot of holes in the secondary. I think there's holes offensively. Um, and then I bet Madison to rush for under nine hundred and a half yards rushing. It's a big number. I know everyone says with Cook gone and everything, he's going to be the lead dog. Fact of the matter is this: number one, can he take the pounding of consistently being the lead guy? Number two, this just isn't a team that runs the ball. And number three, you have a running back coach with a proven record of taking these guys that nobody has heard of and turning them into something. And Dwayne McBride from UAB was a, he was, he's a good running back. It wouldn't say like, I just, I don't know. I think there's a lot of questions in the running game. So I, I did him under nine and a half yards rushing and them not to make the playoffs at plus one twenty five. Now, uh, even, even after the bye, they go at the Raiders at the Bengals. And then they have three division games to close out. They play the lions two out of the last three weeks. So home and away, and then they have a game against Green Bay. Like that's five straight games to where if Green Bay and the Lions are battling for a playoff spot or a wild card spot, or they're still in it for the division, you're not going to get an easy game from them. I don't think you have a better roster than those two teams either, honestly, from top to bottom. And yeah, just not high on the Vikings overall as a team, maybe a team that we can attack with some overs throughout the year uh, and they're, totals and and some uh, some dfs spots anything else you want to hit on the vikings um no that that is it my friend okay let's move to the packers their win total is seven and a half they're the third choice in this division what will life be like without aaron Rodgers? there have been now 16 quarterbacks in nfl history that have won 100 games or more with one team of the prior 15 when they left their teams averaged 7.8 wins the next year. Only five of those teams made the playoffs. In fact, Aaron Rodgers was one of them when he took over back in 2008. They did not make the playoffs that year. But last year, Seattle did when Geno Smith uh, took over for Russell Wilson. What's Love going to do? Is he ready? He has 83 career pass attempts. But keep in mind, he's not a rookie. 
he's not a kid that's only been there for a few weeks or fresh in camp. He's been there for a few years now. So he's seen things. He's seen the NFL speed of games. He got to develop behind one of the all-time great quarterbacks. Now, people are are doing one thing, and I want to give credit to the Bet the Board podcast because a couple some of the things I'm, I'm mentioning here was from them. They do a really great job. He doesn't have to be as good as MVP Aaron Rodgers. All he has to do is be comparable to Aaron Rodgers last year. And Aaron Rodgers last year was not incredible. He graded as quarterback 11 in passing grade. He was number 20 in EPA plus completion percentage over expectation. He ranked 15 of 23 quarterbacks in a clean pocket. They were bottom 10 in red zone efficiency. They had the second worst turnover rate inside the 10 yard line. So it's not like they're going to be going from incredible quarterback play to love, right? It's not, it's not, may not be that steep of a fall. This offense will also be designed for him. Probably easier reads. It won't be Rodgers trying to do as much himself. It'll be just like a smarter offense, I think, because this is a young offense. And the one thing where they're veterans is with the running backs. And like you said, Mm -hmm. they'll lean on the running backs. And I think they'll try to simplify it with quarterback, receivers, tight end, because those are all really unproven positions for them. They've got two second-year wide receivers, Watson and Dobbs, and they've got a rookie tight end in Musgrave. That That's their, like, pass catchers. So, and, I mean, you're forgetting the pride of Michigan State, dude. Jalen Green, their second Oh, there we go. You're right. So we're talking Jalen Green, rookie, Dobbs, 425 career receiving yards, Watson, 611 career receiving yards, tight end is a rookie. So your wide receiver, one, two, three, have a combined 1,100 yards, including your tight end at all four of those positions. But they're all projected to be pretty good. And they're all getting really good buzz, really good reports. This would could be fun for them to grow together. I mean, Watson had a couple games last year where he was incredible. Three games where he hit 100 yards, but then... He didn't have another game with 50 or more. So there are just so many receptions out there for up for grabs. And like they have a lot of blue chip talent on this team, Eric. The defense has eight former first round picks. So they have a lot of upside, a lot of pedigree. Drafted linebacker Van Ness should help with the pass rush. That finished 27th in sacks last year. Eighth and third down defense. That would be good. Again, can they get off the field on third down? Give the young quarterback a lot of different chances. But, man, they they underachieved on defense last year. Injuries, but they were 21st in EPA added per play allowed, 26th in yards per play. They're 29th in EPA allowed on early downs over the last two years on defense. Positives, they'll face a bottom seven schedule of offenses. And they their team last year, led by Alexander, they were not happy with their defensive coordinator, Eric. Remember at the end of the year where they were playing really soft coverages? Uh, especially like against the Lions and in other games uh, against the Vikings. They w- they've been vocal about wanting to play more man, and it looks like they're going to do that. And I think they have to because if the defensive coordinator does not make some adjustments, he's absolutely on the hot seat right now. So in preseason even, they've been playing a little bit more man. Um, I mean, the offensive line is good when Bakhtiari plays. He started 11 games last year. Jenkins is good on the left side. Tom, who was the fourth round pick in 2022, he's pretty good as a rookie. So if they're healthy, they're top half, possibly top third offensive line, and maybe even better. Um, 
yeah, they were top 10 in both pass block and run block win rate. But I think you hit the nail on the head with just a sm- few small things you said about them. So I can turn it over to you now and talk about the Packers. They got to just lean on Dylan and Jones, a great combo. Jones can also catch a ton of passes for them too. And like short stuff to relieve some of the pressure off love. So they're like a really intriguing team to me because so much of them are dependent on the young guys on defense, stepping up the young weapons on offense that that's a team that has like a wide range, right? They could be a six win team or a 10, 11 win team. If these guys all hit, I really think the interesting thing was when we look at this team, this is going to be the first year we see the floor offense and it's true. Absolutely. It's true, true nature. Aaron Rodgers, when during his time on the floor was there led the league with a great margin of audibles. This offense is basically the McVay type offense. Short passing routes, nothing really down the field. Um, this offense is made for a young quarterback to succeed, and I think Love will. I don't know if you remember, but when we did, um, when we, you and I first started doing stuff together, we had our draft rankings and everything. Love was in that draft class with Herbert, Tua, Burrow, Hertz, and um, whom I met, and him. He was actually, I actually had him rated number two behind Burrow. My ratings were um, Burrow, Love, Herbert, and I had two of four, and then Hurts five. Um, so I think he's going to be in a situation. Because he, he's big, right? He's got good size. He's got yeah. all the tools. Like, he checks all the quarterback boxes that and you would want. You mentioned the running backs. I think people fail to realize that for the last six seasons, Jones averaged five yards a carry. I really think people realize to recognize that in terms of the wide receiver position, this is a lot more, no more real deep threat. So I really think it with taking the deep part of the offense, I think that limits Watson and this becomes more of Romeo Dodge. That's there we go, but keep, keep going. I'm going to, I'm going to talk more about him in a second. So we'll keep going better route runners than Watson is. I really don't think they're going to have love throw the ball down the field defensively um they like to drop people in the coverage without blitzing um look at their front i really have a hard time finding anyone that's going to be able to create pressure i know they drafted the kid from iowa but i he really didn't move the needle for me i had him as a second round draft grade uh they have jair alexander who's electric in the back four i really do like their secondary i think their secondary can cover people my issue with them is the last couple of years they've drafted these kids and they just haven't materialized. They don't have any depth, any really weapons in their front seven, and they have no one that can get to the quarterback. So to me, I'm more worried actually about their defense than I am their offense. Can you do you have a Dobbs prop for receiving yards anywhere that you could find? Let me look. But I do have this though. Um, I was just kind of looking at that before I'm going to say this just kind of looking at they open up at at Chicago what is Chicago now like a two-point favorite give or take somewhere yeah yeah less than three so home divisional favorites in week one okay when the number is three or less are 33 percent against the spread four and eight small total you know only 12 games but, when but it you makes take, sense. But when you take that out, okay, and just say any home divisional favorite, week one, 
31, 39, and 2, 44%. So the trend would be to take the Packers to cover week one. Yeah, um, I mean, you think about it. If it's a team that's less than three points at home, they're usually just thought to be not as good of a team. Mm-hmm. Right, they're saying- getting that little bit of a juice for being at home, right? And it's it's week one, so they're probably getting a little more faith in them early on. I agree with you. So that it, the, the, that makes that sense. Out, yeah, and even if you just look at it in general, like any spread, any spread is forty four percent. So I really think the historical the historical trend says to bet the um about the uh at the packers, packers week, week one. one um in terms of this i am pulling it up romeo dobbs romeo where are you romeo receiving yards yeah well, uh, mm-hmm. let me know if you see that let me go through their schedule uh a little bit with green bay so I do have- at 825 okay um dobbs is gonna be less than that Dobbs probably like six to seven. Romeo Dobbs is five fifty. Oh, see, I'm over that for sure. Yeah, I like him. I like him more in this offense too. I'm gonna play that right now. Um, so Green Bay, two Thursday games, two Monday games, two on the road to start at Chicago, at Atlanta. That then they come home Saints, Detroit at Vegas. What's crazy about their first five? If you told me they were one and four, or you told me they were four and one, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. There's this is a team that we, we've talked about this before. There's a lot of teams that have high, like have a lot of distance between their floor and their ceiling. Yep. And I really feel that this is one of those teams. This like is one was, of the bigger teams because, yeah. like, when you have such high pedigree players, too, if a lot of these players hit, even if a few of them hit, you could see this team. Just leaning on the run, getting a couple plays from their receivers a game. Uh, love just being like a little bit more than manageable and maybe their defense being good, you know, and then being able to run the ball. Um, now, in terms but, of fantasy, how would you feel about just saying, F it, I'm going to draft Dylan and Jones. Both and take the Green Bay backfield. I, w- I wouldn't mind doing that, honestly. And I'm just going to start, I'm just going to start both of them. So that way yeah. I get every single production in it. And then Where's Jones going right now? Jones is ADB. Um, yeah. Look at it. Because I think you're in the situation where you could stack a couple of good wide receivers before and then probably get, you know, is he going in like, and, and then Dylan's obviously coming later than that. So that's not a bad strategy if you go into it and maybe the backs that you have in your top tier are gone and you just wait a little yeah. bit. Overall, 38 RB15 is Aaron Jones. Yeah, see, you get two – you could draft two wide receivers, then draft him and probably another back in between him and Dylan and have games where you play – or and most of the time just play the both of them at like – at least to start the season at flex and RB2, you know, RB whatever, and and then you wait and see. And maybe some last year Dylan wasn't quite as impactful, but this is going to be different without Aaron Rodgers. I think and they'll Dylan be throwing the ball less. RB 32 overall, 89. Yeah, so he's way down there, right? You can obviously get a couple other backs in between there, and you don't even have to necessarily be starting the both of them. But if that was something that based every draft, you got to be able to call audibles and you got to be very um, uh, and ductile. Also, right? you know, another week one trend, Maddie LaFleur. 
13 and four, 76 and a half percent ATS as a dog. Okay. Anything else on this one? Okay. So weeks, weeks 10 through 14 is where I worry about them. I'm, I will play this team probably a lot week to week. I'm nervous about playing their over under or anything season long with them other than the Dobbs prop that I've just locked in um, receiving because the one stretch that scares me at Denver coming home from the bye at Denver is never easy. Then Minnesota, they play at home that they could win that game. They play the Rams at home. They could win that game following that though. At Pittsburgh, I take the Steelers there. They play the Chargers. I'd still I take the Chargers. They play at the Lions. I'm taking the Lions at home. They play Kansas City. I'm taking KC probably. And then they play at the Giants. Like they could cover in those games or maybe win one of them or play them closer. Maybe some of those teams are hurt. But right now, as it looks on paper, that could be five losses in a row. So that's what's tough for me, just trying to get to them at like eight or nine wins. It's that that stretch that I can't look past. They could have a really nice stretch to end the year. Um, home for Tampa, at Carolina, at Minnesota, and then home for Chicago. Especially if Minnesota is like not in it at that point of the year. Maybe they just have underachieved and they're done. Um, so that could be four super winnable games to end the year. But I, they're so interesting to me. And like you said, one of the wide widest margins between like floor and ceiling, I think, of any team in the league. Where do you have them like their win total? I have them right around eight. I mean, I yeah. can see them in eight or nine. I got them seven, seven to eight. Um, I think it's kind of crazy. Like, we're gonna actually see because trends say LaFleur LaFleur is the dude in betting. I wonder what his record yep. is ATS as a dog. Because it hasn't even happened much, right? I mean, last year they were dogs a little more more often, but yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, one game with Jordan Love, he covered one game. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, there's going to be some trends to say. It's kind of like when Belichick and Brady broke up because the trend mm-hmm. said that Belichick, but we need to remember that whatchamacallit, um, Brady was his quarterback. Um, I think Jalen Reeder, um, if you guys do best ball, I really think this is a guy that – you need to look at um i know i from what i was told by two different people was the word that he got out of the nfl was look you're going this low in drafts because of the program you played at if you played in the sec you would have been a first round draft pick so i really think he is a little undervalued in terms of because i mean everyone's talking about zay flowers jordan addison um who am i so am i missing Quinton Johnston, everyone's talking them. I really think Jalen Reed's kind of getting lost in the mix. If you do a best ball draft, you should draft in. And he should definitely be someone you could look to get. Because we've seen it every year in fantasy football. There's a guy that kind of comes out of nowhere, gets a touchdown, or has a good game that first week that everyone rushes to go get him on the waiver mm-hmm. wire. Too. And and there's and, no developed hierarchy on this team right now, yeah. right? This is a brand-new quarterback with brand-new receivers. We don't know who Love's going to lean on yet. He might be a Dobbs guy. He might be a Watson guy. He might be a tight end guy. He might go to Jones all the time, right? And not even look to the like progression and some of the guys that are open down the field. We have no idea. So it's nice because like you said, if he has a good week one or week two, boom, he's right in the mix as like 
one of Love's main guys. Yeah. Yeah. I I think he's just I so maybe like deeper, like best ball, or even if you play in bigger leagues, like I was just talking but about. Like, like for me, I guess my point is this is like someone like me, I'm stuck with Russell Wilson. I'm part of me is kind of thinking, do I pick up Jalen Reed, have him on my bench? He does well, roll the dice that he does well the first game. And then now, now I have a trade chip where I could sure. look to get a Derek Carr or somebody else. Sure. I mean, if he's something you like, a guy like Jalen Reed may have a good season, but if he balls out and you can get a good ROI on for him on a draft pick and fantasy, kind of something to think about. Okay, Eric, let's finish up our final NFL team preview before we get into the actual season next week. The Chicago Bears, they're over under seven and a half wins. They are plus 425 in the division. Last year, they had $93 million in dead cap money, which was the most ever in NFL history. This year, they'll have a lot more money dedicated to players that will be helping them on the field. Speaking of field, Justin Fields rushed for 1100. Oh, did you see what I did there? You liked that one, didn't you? I you did. That was pretty it. great. Yep. Fields rushed for 1143 last year. Um, and apparently has improved and developed his passing in the off season. They face a bottom 10 schedule of pass defenses this year. That should help him. They bring in DJ Moore. He had three straight years of 1100 yards before last year. He's great at creating separation. That should help fields a lot in the intermediate all over the place as being a good possession receiver. He's good across the middle of the field, top 10 in targets when the quarterback is under pressure. So he's very good at taking pressure off quarterbacks. Keep an eye on fourth round pick Tyler Scott averaged over 80 receiving yards per game in college. It's a second year for this coaching staff. So they should improve a little bit with their young quarterback and the defense can only get better. They were awful last year, particularly the defensive line. They recorded the lowest pressure rate in the league. They gave up the second most rushing yards in the league last year. The front seven was just bad overall. They do have a couple new acquisitions, the linebacker spot that should help them out. But the defensive line still does look sort of like a weakness. They signed Walker Billings and free agency drafted multiple defensive linemen in the first three rounds could have as many as six new starters on the defensive side. Uh, they were the worst DVOA defensive team since 2016 last year. They were that bad. Uh, the secondary should be improved though. Uh, better play from Jackson and Johnson. They lost Montgomery, but they did bring in Foreman to pair with Herbert in the backfield. Lots of changes on the offensive line. They weren't good last year, so those changes might actually help. Four-fifths of the starting lineup will be different on the offensive line. Shuffling positions, new additions. Left guard played right guard last year. Center played left guard last year. And they were winless in the division. They lost their last 10 games of the year. They covered one of the last eight games. They were one and seven against the spread in their final eight. They lost five games by 20 points or more. The yeah. offensive line was uh, was 31st in cohesion rate. So they didn't have the same players playing often. They were dead last in pass protection efficiency. They had a 46% pressure rate and the highest sack rate allowed in NFL history, almost 15%. And they're going to face a bad schedule of defenses this year. Bottom 10 defensive line, bottom five schedule of defenses. And last year, they faced the second most difficult schedule of offenses uh, and the number one schedule of passing offenses. So there's some positive trends for them, some positive things. They're getting a lot of buzz with Justin Fields in the offseason. Talk to us about the Bears. 
So here's the thing with the Bears. They opened up at 100 to 1. If you didn't bet them at 100 to 1, there's no point in playing them right now because you missed the best number. It's half that size. In my eyes, it's an awful bet. Bears offense, look, it's pretty simple. RPO and play action with fields. Uh, the key is the offensive line. They're bringing in Nate Davis. They drafted Darnell Wright to secure the right side of the offensive line. So, look, I think that's going to be better. The issue is this, and they they did this last year toward the end of the season. Eberfuse realizes how bad the defense is. I think that's going to affect the pace of play they play. So I don't think it's going to be an explosive offense. I think they're going to control the clock a little bit more and lean on the running game. I know people like Khalil Herbert. I really just don't see it with them. There was this play in the Washington game where it was fourth and one, and all he had to do was fall forward to get the first down, and he didn't get it last year on that Thursday night game, which was absolutely putrid. And that kind of showed me Herbert really wasn't the guy. They drafted Roscoe Johnson from Texas, backed up Bijan Robinson. I don't know if he's the guy. They have... Uh, Foreman, I've liked Foreman, but he's never been the same ever since that injury that he had. I really think this is going to be a run by committee with Fields and the three running backs. I think it's going to be a Bears humiliating. So, so it might be good for football, yeah. but not for fantasy. It might be okay yeah. that they have a lot of options there to run with, but in, in fantasy, it might be really tough until we see if there's like an established, I don't know, if you want to. Yeah, a waste or I, waste a I high draft pick on one of those guys. If, if it's if it's a game where Fields attempts over twenty three passes, it's off script for them. Yeah, and it's not the game they want to be in. No. So for me, like like in terms of fantasy, you really it's Fields in the offense, and that's it. I know DJ Moore is getting getting a lot of love, but if you just kind of look at Fields, even when he was at Ohio State. He never really had a wide receiver that just balled out. So I, I, I'm not really buying the, um, you know what I mean? I'm not really buying the, um, the more hype and like the passing necessarily like their passing offense being prolific. It, it just, I agree. I think it's a lean on field. I think overall, like it's nice to have more. And, and again, more in Claypool and now with those two guys and Mooney and Komet, it feels like you got at least like a number one, maybe like a, a number two, man, maybe he's not really even a number two yet in Claypool, but guys, guys are slotted better and they're, they're better options than they had last year. No doubt about it. But I don't know if they're any of the pass catchers I necessarily want to invest in for fantasy. It just might be nice for him on third down to have these guys, right? If it's a third and five, he may not feel like he has to hold on to the ball all the time. It just, I don't know if any of them are going to be that prolific for your fantasy teams. And then, yeah. And another thing I like, I agree with you, but my thing that I just don't understand what they did and we're switching over to the defense. I don't understand how you can cut your defensive lineman that was double teamed the most out of anyone on your team and led your team in sacks. I that cutting Gibson makes absolute zero sense to me. I really don't understand that move. Why he didn't make the 50 man team roster. Um, you know, they at can Dexter be the guy in the middle that stuffs the run. You mentioned these linebackers, 
Um, they brought in the guy, I'm spacing his name, of course, the guy for the Eagles. He had one good year. You know, is that a fluke? You know what I mean? Like, I really don't think this defense is going to be that good. Um, and they don't blitz. So now, and you got rid of your best defensive lineman that could generate blitz, that could generate pressure. So all that stuff just factors in. Cause like when we look at teams, we need to understand that if you have a smart coach and your defense is bad, they're going to want to limit how much the defense is on the field. So I, I don't know. I think this team, I think this team is going to struggle. Look, I'm just being straight up. I bought when the number first came out, I bought into the hype and I took a small position, the over seven and a half, but the more I dig into it. And then after the news of them dumping Gibson, which I think was an awful move, I think they'll go under it, but I am. In, I did bet the over just because I bought into the hype and wanted to get the number when it was good when it first opened up. Yeah, I. This is another team that I will play probably on some week to week. I don't think week weeks two weeks eight through fifteen will be easy for this team. Um, they got a couple Thursday games and a Monday game. They they do have a couple winnable games to start. Uh, Green Bay and then at Tampa. So I mean they're home for Green Bay in week one and they have to be so pumped. Like their crowd is going to be so excited to be playing a green Bay team that doesn't have Aaron Rodgers, right? They are going to be so excited to not have Aaron Rodgers over there. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I got him in like the seven win range. That's the thing. Like, I, I don't think they're the worst team in the league. I think fields will be good enough to give them a floor. And I, I sort of look at their schedule. Like they catch Denver they, they play at home against Denver, so that could be a game where they're at least competitive. At Washington, they could be competitive there. Home against Minnesota, home against the Raiders. I could see them in those games. I think it, it's weeks 8 through 15 where it gets tough. You go at the Chargers, at the Saints, you're home for Carolina, then you go at Detroit and at Minnesota. Um, that That's the stretch that I'm, I'm really worried about. And even after the bye, your Lions and then the, the Browns. So... Adam, it's six, I, six to seven. And, you know, you have Denver after playing at Kansas City. Then you go to Washington. And if Washington's defensive line can get home, Minnesota game, I don't – There's like, a Those lot are of, all either-or games, right? Like, the best version is a Bears win. And the, the like, just below average version is them – like, any of those games have a very wide margin, too. And they're, they're hard – like, they're another one of those teams where it's like – it's really tough to count road wins for them right now until we see that. Road wins, you look at week eight through week 12. I mean, yeah, they got four, four out of five. Four out of five at, in the row. And like, that's where, and literally, I think they lose those four games probably. Yeah. And that's right before their bye. They have a late bye on in week 13. So you're going to be a little bit banged up at that point, too. If someone like Fields gets hurt because you're running so much at that point, like, yeah, it, I have no problem investing in fields if you like fields because I think he's got a pretty good floor if he's not hurt and he's out there. I think he'll be solid. Um, I'm worried about, though, the rest of the offensive pieces until until proven otherwise with them. So, yeah, I mean, as I far as a, half. I'm pissed at myself I did it because I kind of bit, you know what I mean? I kind of. Yeah, I mean, the number's not bad, though, because the number's up to seven and a half now, right? Yeah. So, the number for them isn't isn't bad that you got. I just I'm I'm concerned like with the, the schedule that we talk about, and then with them 
got to see it with them. You know, can can Fields make that step forward? They're going to force him to throw the ball this year. They're going to pack the box against them. They're going to make him hit more and hit Claypool and hit those receivers. Who who would you play if anyone in this division? I mean, if I was going to play to win the division at their prices, honestly, I would play either the Packers or the Bears. I just don't think I would want to play them, but based on value, like I wouldn't play Minnesota because I don't think it's them. I wouldn't play Detroit because there's no value to me in them as the favorite. It would be the Packers or the Bears. I just don't trust either one of those teams season-wide yet. I just would rather get involved in them on a week-to-week basis than locking in money season-wide. But if you're someone out there who's like playing every division or you're looking for a long shot or you're between those, you know, you're wondering who... I wouldn't play the, the top two teams in this division. They just don't offer enough value to me. Oh, 100%. And, like, how you how you look at um, – how could I word this? You got to look at a future like a CD. You know what I mean? Like, what's going to – kind of like banking. and Absolutely. Is it going to improve? Yeah. Is it going to appreciate or depreciate, right? Yeah. Like, kind of look, look at that when you're doing it. And, you know, I just – If you don't feel like you've caught a big like, enough advantage – you can you wait. Mentioned, you mentioned like some of their, some of those schedule hip hops, like, you know, with the bears, if the bears get off to a good start and they have that four out of five games, bet them not to make the playoffs. The Packers yeah. get off to a good start. They have that little hiccup in the schedule, bet them not to make the playoffs. There's easier ways to play futures like during the season now, instead of these pre-flop. And I'll be honest, like lions are the surest thing, but this is a team that's never been the surest thing before. There's a million nope. questions about the Vikings Questions about the Packers, questions about the Bears. So I think the best thing to do right now is kind of sit back and wait. But the thing I did want to ask you, which isn't even related to this division, it's related to the Indianapolis Colts. What were your thoughts on the Colts wanting the Dolphins to trade Waddle straight up for him? That's weird, right? Like what? I mean, like what do you think? Like why? I know. Like what? My, thing, my thing is this, is A, I look at this whole situation, is Ursay was like, hey, we're not going to pay him a premium price, but then you're demanding premium ROI for him. Exactly. You 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 set, the, you set the, the value on him when you chose not to pay him. And now yeah. you're asking for an absurd return for someone, man, it just... It just I'm not going to let my kid be a running back. I'll tell you that, Eric, if you, right. It's just, they don't, don't get paid anymore. Unfortunately. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I just, I don't know. And I, I would never do that trade. I doesn't, it doesn't make sense. If I was the dolphins, why I would do that. Um, I just don't understand what Ursa is doing. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And this brings me to my Calvin Ridley point you got to look when you do fantasy football um, with players that are in that quote unquote contract year, Calvin Ridley is in the contract year. And you look at the wide receivers that are going to be in contract it like free agents next year. It's very thin. You look at the running backs that are going to be free agents. There's going to be a ton of them. So I know we're talking about this, but I really feel like looking at Calvin Ridley in terms of like fantasy is the way to go. Completely unrelated to the South, to the North. My apologies. Never apologize. Anytime there's a good NFL tidbit or question uh, to bring up, feel free. Eric, we have finished, my friend. We are done with our team-by-team previews. And next time we talk, 
next week, we'll be previewing the NFL season. So uh, let everybody know what we have coming up this weekend. You and I will be together on Friday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time for the winning ticket. And this will probably be the last week where we even have baseball in the mix. Um, Because then next week when NFL has started, we can talk sort of a few college games and then a few NFL games. I mean, Um, I'm... I have some a couple college dogs I absolutely love. Oh, so. yeah. So we'll already be and, – and this week we'll already be – I'm going to have a couple baseball games just for that night, and then we'll have uh, some college for ahead and probably a race or two. But then we'll start shifting away from baseball, I think, and it'll be a lot of college football and NFL each week. Uh, what else do you have coming up on your show? Uh, my podcast basically is just going to be my boy Nick and I talking fantasy football, coming out with a draft plan. Um, my boy Brandon and I are going to – Talk some NASCAR and XFL. Jim and I are going to talk some CFL. Oh, uh oh. I think we uh, froze for a second, but that was perfect. I think we froze like right there for a second, right at the very end. But uh, you got all your plugs in. And uh, Eric, buddy, man, I can't all- thank you enough for all the help over the last couple of years. We're ready for another long journey ahead, but we got a lot of the dirty work out of the way. We got all the, the pavement laid and the groundwork laid with uh, with all the teams. So people know where we stand to start. And now it'll be fun. I think it's been the last two years for sure where we went through every game. Yep. And then even like three years ago, you would join for a lot of the weeks and then towards the end of the year, you were there most weeks. But I, I honestly think the last two years we've talked about every single game through the regular season and the playoffs. So I uh, look forward to it again, my friend, get a little bit of rest before the, uh, the, the real marathon starts. I'm looking forward to it, my friend. Thanks so much again for hanging out with us, folks. We'll be here with you each and every week talking every single NFL game, previewing it with uh, one of the best out there. You hear him each and every week on our show, Eric, uh, and we're very lucky to have him. Don't go anywhere. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Thank you to Eric. We did all the preview, all the prep, and now the marathon will begin. That is the NFL season. It doesn't feel like a marathon because it doesn't seem like you have that many games, but just all of the prep, all of the uh, the work that goes into each and every week. It is unlike any other sport when you're prepping, when you're playing, uh, seriously wagering on the games. Let's finish up with wrestling with Chad Cooper. We talk about Bray Wyatt. Rest in peace, Bray Wyatt. And then we move on over to AEW. All In was last week. 80,000 people in Wembley, but nobody's talking about that. They're all talking about CM Punk and all the drama there. We talk about All Out. We preview WWE Payback. Everything going on in the world of wrestling this week with Chad Cooper. Kick back and enjoy. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night, and trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. Lots happening in the world of wrestling, and we have a ton of ground to cover here on This Week in Wrestling with Chad Cooper. We're going to talk about All In, All Out. We're going to talk about WWE this week having a pay-per-view payback. But first up, Koopa Loop, last week we recorded, and then right after we recorded, we found out the very sad news about the passing of Bray Wyatt. Um Reportedly had some health complications, 
um, heart problems. I want to talk a little bit more about Bray, the character, the person that we knew. Man, this one hit home really hard for me. 36, I'm the same age. So, you know, I really, really felt this one. And for me, some of my favorite wrestlers growing up were the wrestlers that you got to see their entire career play out. I love Bret Hart. I got to see Bret Hart go from being a tag team guy to being the mid-card guy, winning the IC title, and then moving up to the main event and then being the guy. Um, I mean, Bray Wyatt was a perfect example of a character that we saw and a person that we saw go from NXT, Husky Harris, character change, Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, Chad. He, He is someone that had to experience the highest highs and the lowest lows that WWE has to offer, right? With, um, you know, when the machine gets behind you and when you're a star or when you got a big match and they're promoting it, and then the difference between times when they don't have anything for you. And there would be months at a time where we wouldn't see Bray Wyatt. Such a fascinating guy to talk about. Yeah, this it gets more difficult and difficult. Uh, you know, as you get older... <clears throat> You know, we know death is inevitable, but it really, really hits home when someone is is really, really young, as you say. This is a guy that uh, you talk about wrestling and DNA. I mean, from his grandfather, Black Jack Mulligan, his father, Mike Rotunda, um, his brother, Bo Dallas, um, you know, the uncles, Barry and Kendall Wyndham. Uh, where his uncles, his brother, Bo Dallas, I mean, you talk about a wrestling family. That's a wrestling family. Yeah. This guy, this was what he was born to do. Not your average looking, typical prototype professional wrestler uh, as by set by WWE standards. But a guy that, as you said, came up, um, believe he started in FCW, which was uh, then rebranded um, like uh, NXT. Or whatever it was, and he came up. Remember, he was a. I think he was a member of the Nexus at one time. Husky Harris, um, as, yep. as Husky Harris, and then uh, all of a sudden they were like, "Hey, we have something here." And when they uh, when repack- they repackaged, man, that was yeah. that Wyatt family. It gives me goosebumps to talk about. When yeah, I saw- it, it was like the, you talk about. Uh, it, it was right out of a Hollywood movie. You it know, was different. Uh, it was scary. Never saw anything like that before Nothing. ever. I know we were used to the Undertaker stuff, but never anything quite and like this. There were there were like attempts at it. Even way back, there was a guy like Waylon Mercy who sure, did something sure, that yeah. was like trying to be like this, but the the complete package that they had when they were out in the backwoods talking about Sister Abigail, how scary they were, and they went quickly from NXT. Up to the main roster, and they had the whole package with Eric Rowan and with um, it, it's so sad with Luke Harper yeah. to think about the two of them from the Wyatt family that are both gone. And they had the incredible matches with the Shield, and then Daniel Bryan's in the Wyatt family, and he feuds with them. And Bray probably has the best match of his career with Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble, where he goes over clean. Yeah. Over Daniel Bryan And then Then after things sort of Sort of kind of Falter for him for a little while Until he was repackaged As the Fiend The Fiend was incredible when it started It was unbelievable That was another one that was like Wow I remember the first day that, that I saw that It was just like you said Straight out of a horror movie In a different way 
And it showed his incredible creativity And then we saw it again when he was You know, doing the Firefly Funhouse stuff One of the sad things about it, Chad Is that, like, we could talk about All the big moments All the the, the feuds that he's had Some of the in-ring stuff A lot of the segments and promos But I still will always feel like We didn't even get the best Bray Wyatt run yet Like, there there felt like there was going to be a, a an even bigger run for him out there Is only a guy who was 36 Like he said he was the undertaker He was going to have some of these feuds There was still another run for him in, in Roman Reigns There was another run for him in Seth Rollins out there Some of these guys it just That's what's so sad to me You felt like he still had so much more left to do Yeah you know and it's sad You look back on it and not that the opponent is sad But it's, you know he's Usually they're remembered by you know, a lot of their last match, which was with L.A. Knight and the uh, what was the Mountain Dew Extreme, uh, you know, you could tell something was off. Um, y- you and I spoke on this and I think others have spoke on this that, you know, there was a reason why he was being held out. We kept hearing about his return. I think over the last couple of months, uh, the word was he and Cody Rhodes uh he was going to get involved with the Cody and Brock storyline. It never happened. Um, but just an innovator and not just what he did on TV. You, you think you see his character and you see his personality on TV and in the ring. And you think, you know, um, oh, that guy's a loner. You know, he probably arrives and sits in the corner, you know. But apparently that was quite the opposite yeah. you know, in the locker room. He, he, he. Not uh, a bad word. Not yeah, a bad not word a bad about word. No, nobody saying one bad thing. And after yeah. the passing, just across the board, you see how many lives that guy has touched. Um, just over a short period of time, he's been in the wrestling business. Becky was telling stories about how he uh, helped her. She had to she had to uh, work a tables match um, when she was just coming up, and she was really nervous because she's never done it. And Bray could kind of sense that, so he took her under his wing. And he showed her how to work a tables match And so the other night She put um, Her opponent through a table You know just as a little a, a little um, Sign as a thank you to Bray sure. Just like you said he Whatever happened or You know boss and, and Worker have interesting Relationships and All the rumors that I had heard And stuff that I had read was that He and Vince had a very unique relationship because they knew each other so well And the family had been around so long It was almost like Like a father, son Not not quite a father, but like an uncle Something like that where Vince could be very hard on him And then ecstatic with him Like, you know, sure. and, and the wide range And that was sort of hard for Bray, I think To deal with, like he really did look up to To Vince and want his approval As, as a lot of the wrestlers do Who doesn't want, you know, to, to their boss To think the best of them Man, just just so sad Just so sad because we could just talk so much And I'm sure we will And you know, maybe we'll go through a, a show Coming up in one of these weeks When things get a little slower with uh, and, and we could do, uh, you know Recap one of his better matches or you yeah, know, what, what, I mean, the, the last thing I, 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 w- I definitely wanted to mention About Bray is I mean, what, what professional wrestler Slash sports entertainer Can you remember that really you remember the first time or every time they did a particular move, but that upside down crawl, man, like a spider when he was, you talk about marking out 
I had never seen anything like that. And if it was just, and then to finish a match with that sister, Abigail, just the storytelling for those two moves right there tells you how talented of a guy was, but man, that upside down crawl, when he got, he got to that point in the match and he did that look out, you knew you were in trouble. You knew you were in trouble. Just, you know, we, like I said, we, we could go on and on of, uh, about this short because he lived a, a man, what, a short period of time, what he was, what he was able to do. But uh, another one gone too soon, man, uh, gone too soon. So Bray Wyatt will uh, be forever remembered as definitely uh, an innovator and uh, there will be no one uh, else like him, Gino. Bray, rest in peace. Thank you for all the hours of entertaining us. Man, so, so sad. Bray Wyatt gone way too soon. It's never easy to make the transition from talking about something serious like Bray over to the world of wrestling. But we uh, we will move over and talk about other things happening in the WWE. And this weekend coming up, Chad, it is a pay-per-view. They actually have payback on Saturday. And in the, the mode that they've been going, they're having these shows that – don't have a ton of matches They're sort of doing the complete opposite that AEW uh, Is doing which WWE used to do Try to get everybody on the card They're not doing that anymore We have a six match card From what I see right now for payback And we're gonna finally I think finally <laughs> Get to the end of this Becky Lynch Trish Stratus feud um, It overall It just this thing feels to me Like a C minus it's like something that's like been passable, barely passable. There have been individually, I think they've done some good work in here. Uh, I think Becky's done, I think Trish has done some good work as a heel, but like it's just not connected overall in this role. Becky hasn't felt as big of a star as she used to. I do think it's done good for Zoe. She sort of felt good in the mix, and I think she's been presented pretty well. But Becky, Trish, I feel like this is the moment for Becky because. They teased Becky and Shayna a few weeks ago, and I don't want Shayna to be completely forgotten about. I'd like her to get back on the TV soon, and Becky, Shayna feels like it would be a fun feud. Yeah, it would be, and it's something that seems uh, relatively fresh. Yeah, this this ends uh, this weekend. Um, if, if you're going to pick, pick one winner, if you had to pick one winner this weekend, this would be the match that that circled. Becky Lynch is not going to lose this match against Trish Stratus. I said it last week. Trish, one of my all-time favorites on the women's side. Becky Lynch, too. Some things work and some things don't. I think it started promising. Uh, the problem has been, is what we say, you know, uh, when we talk about this storyline. Trish is so beloved. It's hard to hate her. I think uh, Lita not being into the picture, I think it kind of helped. We kind of knew someone was turning, and it was Trish's time to turn. Um, didn't get on Survivor Series, or excuse me, didn't get on SummerSlam. Um, I think it really hurt, and uh, this is, uh, quote-unquote, the payoff at Payback, and this is 100% a uh, Becky Lynch win this weekend. I think I think they're doing a good job with Raquel uh, building sure, her, sure. What, but what's happened, I um, she, she sort of... Come out of nowhere in that she went From being on a tag team to Being hurt to now being the number One contender I think we Need we needed to get her a couple More just easy wins on TV Right in the build to this I think that's one of my only uh, Knocks Um, she's like a Legitimate 
a legitimate foe for Rhea. It's not time for Rhea. I could see Raquel being someone six months or eight months down the line winning. I just don't think now is the time, but I do think she'll look good and probably have as much of a back and forth or maybe even be dominant in a lot of the match and Rhea has to do something to kind of get out. I could see them trying to set it up like Raquel could be someone that Rhea ends up maybe not being afraid of, but respecting and and understanding that, oh, you know what? I I, I was I got lucky here. I think that's probably the way to go. Rhea can't lose right now. She's just so over in every single way. Um but but I I Raquel is like each week I think she feels a little bit more legitimate. It's just the crowd isn't quite behind her yet. Yeah, and that puts her at a crossroads here with this type of match, uh, this early point of her main roster run. Um, as you mentioned, <clears throat> I think she has been a multiple-time WWE Women's Tag Team Champion. Different partners. And, yeah, has been cursed by the injury bug um, with First Aaliyah. First it was Aaliyah. And yeah, right. multiple times, and so she's been a she's been a product of that. Uh, I I don't know if they felt like they really didn't have a really legitimate other option for Rhea and needed something, but I can tell you this: if you're going to make Rhea's over the next year or two, uh, or definitely the next year, you're going to make her a, a a serious contender and put her over. This match has to deliver for her. She's not going to win, but her and Rhea have to have a really good match here. Ten minutes, ten minutes it, plus. It has and, to be. There has to be some close finishes, and we need to make her a legitimate contender for this title. Because if not, if this this is a, a wonky match and it doesn't work, it's going to be a hard time getting her over. I'm fine with like a cheap finish too. I'm fine sure. with like Dominic distraction, yeah. and that leads to like a Rhea. Like you want Raquel to not. Look bad And this is one of the few Yeah and and like this is one of the few that I think You keep strong even against Rhea Everyone else or or Most of the other division I'm fine with Rhea Running through at the moment but I think you want to Keep a few people at the top of the division Strong for her so they seem like Legitimate contenders and and this is This is one of them Yes Um, Mysterio Austin Theory It just feels just like very Kind of cold Right it's now, not a, it's, yeah, it's not lukewarm either. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, 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 it is uh, very cold on this one. I don't think Austin Theory is going to win this right back. No. Feels like they might be getting ready to tell a story with Mysterio and Santos. Yeah, I, I think could we see may that see a Santos turn or just mm-hmm. two friendly guys that go at it. Yeah, I, I can something see like that. a passing of the torch sure. match, right? Where like sure. Santos beats Ray and Ray says, you know, and um. And this, and so, look, the, and Gino, the booking of this match is going to be interesting, too. As you said, we only have six matches. We don't have Guther. We heard that Triple H is wants that on Raw. Raw. They want several matches to be on TV. So, as you like you said, they don't want a big watered-down um, uh, pay-per-view type event until they get to the big shows. But this is another one. Austin Theory. This was a guy that... Uh, was one of the most hated heels for several months on Monday Night Raw. He was. He was hated. And now he's, no one really cares about him. So this booking of this match, we know Ray's going to go over, but the booking of this match will be interesting. If Theory doesn't have a decent showing, um, 
if he's not in control of a lot of this match and it's just uh, one of these seven, eight-minute matches where Mysterio just gets all of his moves in, I think Theory's going to find himself. Yeah, he's going to be. I think Theory's going to find himself on Tuesday nights. What's hurting Theory right now, too, is like you bring up Grayson Waller, who just feels just like. And he just feels better than Theory at like a lot of the same things. Yes. You know, like he's better on the mic. He's more comfortable there. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe they're getting ready to repackage Theory with well, with Gargano, and, and they kind of tease the tag team with those two guys, with right. Theory and Waller, a little bit, right? right? I don't did. know. I don't too. know if they, they would really too. go there, but um, you think about Waller, who's been Waller. I don't think has he doesn't have a win on the main roster, but you wouldn't think that. Right, it doesn't feel like he's lost every match all the time because he's been. Think about who Waller has been in the ring with since he's been on the main roster: John Cena, Edge, um, Rey Mysterio, AJ Styles. Like they put him in the ring with some of the top top tier guys, so they trust him. It he's just not there yet, so they don't mind having him in the ring, having him lose, having him as a heel. A young heel look impressive when losing. Um, I, I mentioned him because they're going to have the Grayson Waller effect with Cody Rhodes on uh, on the show. They've actually um, um, they've promoted that, so that's going to be on the pay per view too. Interesting there to see what that leads to. Is does it lead to someone else coming out? Because I don't know if Cody and Waller is like a feud they run with, but I could see this. I could see someone else coming out and this leading to. Cody's next opponent uh, Yeah, yeah, absolutely absolutely. There's, so there's uh, a way that they'll be able to kill Not kill, but that'll take up You know, 15-20 minutes of a segment's worth of time On the sure. pay-per-view as well Kind of like It'll what, be fun, it'll be entertaining too Yeah, it will like has a, been Nothing short of spectacular, man, since his call-up and Remember, the guy's been injured He came up injured, he had, he had a bum leg so. and, and while this weekend I, I would say for both Payback and then for what we're going to talk about with All Out, you don't have a lot of top, top-tier matches. Like, there's no Roman Reigns. There's nothing with the bloodline in this, and Cody's not having a match. So right off the bat, you know, that's, a, like, the top of the card. But I will say, they have done a fantastic job in three weeks with Shinsuke Nakamura. This is the best he's ever been presented on their main roster. And Why? Because they're letting him talk in his own voice He's not having to try to Translate in his head And then speak in English And cut a promo in front of a bunch of people He's getting to sit down Talk in his own voice They're using subtitles on a video package And they're making this guy seem like A badass evil dude Who wants to hurt Seth Rollins And now because They've pointed out the back They've talked about you know How Seth may have some Serious back issues I could absolutely see Nakamura winning this title I could see Nakamura winning And then having Priest cash in Right away and I would not be Mad with either one of those And that's the mark Of a good company Good build Good storyline and I will give All the credit in the world to Triple H here This is just something I don't think Vince would have done He doesn't like the story He's never really been one with the the subtitles and I don't know why Chad I mean we all Have to read and watch things With subtitles sometimes and It just I want to hear Nakamura Talking in his own voice man I'm, 
I've been so impressed with what they've done in just a few weeks. Yeah, they've done uh, spectacular. And as you mentioned it and many of others uh, on social media, where was this? Where was this type of booking for Shinsuke years and years ago? I understand if you don't know what to do with him because this guy comes in already established um, and not a speaker of very good English. But man, this this guy could you you talk about uh, have a career killer career in the WWE if if booked just half this way going into this because in just a short period of time they've convinced they've convinced you because I hear it in your voice that you think Shinsuke is going to win this match. He's got it. I think. He's got a shot. The The money in the bank being out there is what makes me think it can be involved in some way. I just sure. love how they've really made you think that Seth has like been carrying this injury around now. And Nakamura knows how to attack it. And he's <clears throat> evil. And even if it's a clean loss or you know um, Seth goes over here, I think they still... I'm, I'd be very curious where they go next. But they could still keep Nakamura, I think... He just feels more elevated than where he was. I oh, think even with the loss, 100%. I think you could still have him be like heel towards the top of the card. And he was kind of floundering for a while. When's the last time he's had an actual story? A feud. Yeah, even when he was the U.S. champion. Remember, he was in tag matches. And he was the <laughs> IC champ, I think, for a while, too. And it was yeah. the same sort of thing. Like, yeah. we would never see him. He wouldn't pop up. And then it would be like, oh, he's going to defend the title on SmackDown. And it would just be out of nowhere. You know, it wouldn't be anything built. It would just be him against another good wrestler. This Everybody needs a feud. This is what we talk about with AEW and our gripe all the time. You can only have good wrestlers in good matches for so long before you get bored with them. Like right now, AJ Styles has nothing going on. Sure. It's cold. Nakamura was ice cold for so long. Look at Ricochet. The difference between how intriguing he was in the month around the Logan Paul stuff, and now, unfortunately, he's sort of out of sight, out of mind again. Um, yeah, and, and that's a shame too, right? I, I mean, there's just so many good, so much good talent that seems to not be able to to grab hold of anything here over the last, uh, you know what, um, I, you know, I, it, it's interesting. Um, I'm kind of torn. I saw the I odds. They're, they're not very high for, for Seth Rollins. He's like minus 300 as a favorite, which is not very high. No. Um, for a championship match. And you remember, I, as we tie in to the Money in the Bank briefcase holder, which is Damian Priest, he's in a match for the tag team titles. You remember what Rhea told them on Monday night? If they don't come back here with the tag team champions... Things are Some, going to change. Something's, something's up. Something's going to change, right? And, and so, maybe so what they I really think titles. Maybe they don't. Maybe Finn causes it. Maybe Balor or Priest tries to cash in, and Finn, Finn, JD McDonough. So, something's going to happen this weekend. I wouldn't know how to predict it though. Which way? He, who comes out as champions? If I was a lot of pieces. If I was going to bet, what I think, I think they realize right now. In the response to the Nakamura stuff over the last couple weeks That it's been very good I think they find a way to extend this feud Sure With Seth Sure I, I, I would could, I could see something happening where Priest tries to get involved And then Finn Balor gets involved Because they were at each other's throats J.D. Mm-hmm. McDonough Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to build up the Shinsuke like this For him to just get Lose in one, one. Three. I think Regardless I think, of like a good match said, or not And that's what may happen I don't know yeah, so I'm 
So I like you said, there we could get the Judgment Day getting involved in this match with the Finn and Balor, or with the Finn and Priest stuff with the um, with the briefcase, or we could just have like Nakamura go evil heel on DQ. Seth on Seth back, right, and get a yeah, DQ, DQ, and that sure. lead to like a stipulation match next month, and I, I that's what I would bet on if I had to bet, because then you get another month of this with with this good version of Shinsuke. It's sort of like what they did with Finn. Like they did a great job with Finn where initially we're like, oh no, Seth and Finn again. And then all of a sudden Finn's interesting with everything going on with Judgment Day. Now they've done it with Nakamura too. And so I don't think you just, like you said, I don't think you just want to have him lose clean to Seth. I want to see a Nakamura go, go nuts, get a chair on Seth's back, you know, something like that. Kinshaw saw him with the chair into the back, you know, and then that lead to a weakened set the Nakamura in a few weeks in, you know, a steel cage or a hell in a cell or, uh, you know, some some sort of stipulation match. While we were talking about the tag team match, we can mention it. KO and Sammy versus Finn and Priest. This should be fun. I mean, these guys have yeah. been sort of feuding and around it for a while. But now all of a sudden with J.D. McDonough in the mix and, you know, at any moment. I could see Sammy and KO losing, not because they're just because you you could see it happening for the storyline, and then you could see them moving back up into being single stuff and sort of getting out of this tag, which which felt like it was the story that needed to be told with the judgment or with the the bloodline more. And now that that's done, they can kind of go back their own separate ways or move back up the card. I could see this happening at any at any time. Yeah, this this one this one's a toss up here. I could see the titles going over, um, and let the heels run with it a little bit and let them have some bickering, or I could see them retaining and we we see the split of Damian and Finn Balor, whether JD McDonough's involved and takes over. I I'm I, I'm thinking that KO and Sammy retain here. Um I, I think the the focus here is the uh the storyline with Rhea saying some of hey, the infighting with with yeah. the Judgment Day, and I th- and I think we that leads to some craziness in the main event, and that's how you get out of uh, you know Nakamura uh, having to be uh, you know pinned one two three, which may happen anyway. I don't know. They may put, uh, look Seth and Shinsuke, regardless bad back or not, that's going to be a fantastic match. But this one, if this you know, the champions are only minus one fifty. And uh, that can tell you that tells you right there it could go either way. Wouldn't shock me if we were to get to the somewhere where it was Finn and JD as a tag team. Sure. And they were the team who eventually win it, and that pissed off Priest, and that started more. I could see something like that happening, and I saved it for the for the main event because what what do you? That's a good question. What do you think is going to be the main event? Oh, ah. Uh... Because if Seth and Shinsuke is wonky, do they have that as the main event if it's not like a clean babyface finish? What about Trish, Becky Lynch? That's what I think, right? With the cage, with especially if Trish, over. especially if Becky's going to win because this feud has been so long. I could see that because nothing else makes sense. I don't think yeah, you're going to put LA Knight and the Miz is, won't be the no, main event. No, no, and KO over in the tag won't. Rhea Raquel won't. Theory Mysterio won't. It's t- it's those two really. One of those two, yeah. So, LA I Knight. Mean, she, she look. Raw closed on Monday night with Becky. I could see this main yeah. event as well. Yeah, that you're Becky right. Trying to do that. 
Yeah, I think so. Especially because you kind of screwed them a couple times, right? Out of the SummerSlam spot. And now you could tell them, oh, hey, look, we're going to let you guys close the show here. And maybe that gives them a little bit of like a um, feel a little bit better about it in the long run. LA Night Miz. And we're coming off of a Friday where WWE did a really great job this week on Friday and then on Monday again. Because one thing that nobody talks about, Chad, when a superstar passes away and WWE wants to do a tribute show to them, keep in mind, they've already sold tickets to these shows for people that are buying tickets, not thinking they're going to a tribute show, you know, so just plain and simple, like you have to do business. You've already sold a bunch of tickets. It's not like you're doing a separate tribute show that people know and they're buying tickets for. That's what gets a little bit tricky. Like you've sold these tickets for SmackDown months ago, and now all of a sudden someone passed away. So you have to have at least some of a normal show and some matches, but but it's difficult because you know you can't just have regular storylines out there. Like they scrapped the Jimmy and Jay Uso stuff. Sure. That was scheduled for last week because you can sense the tone oh, with a yeah. lot of the wrestlers. And yeah. Um even the matches are like a little subdued, you know, they're just sort of like a little more basic and Cody did yeah, a really a great job. It's a brother and sisterhood. Look, anything, any type of team, police officers, firefighters, you name it, uh, office workers. When something happens like that, uh, you know, you feel the camaraderie. I mean, it, it's more than just, oh, somebody's works in the company. You know, oh, that somebody else works. In the, when something like this happens, you, you can tell that. That those guys and gals could not, their head was not in each of those matches and segments. And I'm saying and there's, there's, there's everything right with that. You know, yep. there's nothing wrong with it. No, no, it's, it's, it was amazing to me to, to see the faith that they had on SmackDown in LA Knight. And for anyone who's a fan of LA Knight and has maybe been a little bit worried, he hasn't won any big ones yet. Seems like he loses some matches here and there. This, what they did on Friday, told me more than winning or losing any match, winning or losing any title, any storyline, anything. The fact that at that Bray Wyatt, on that show that was dedicated to Bray Wyatt, they let LA Knight cut the go home promo. Be the final guy to talk about Bray. And then he was in the main event match. Got a clean win over Finn. And the reason why you do that is because you want in a night like this that's a sad night. You want the crowd to go home happy. So you have the biggest baby face on the card win. So the the most of the crowd is excited. That, That was like the main character in a movie. He was treated like that on Friday Night Smackdown. That was unbelievable for anyone who's an L.A. Knight fan. That was like as big of a, a a tip that they can give to him and say, we have faith in you. We believe in you that you're going to go out, be respectful, cut a great promo, and then have just a good solid match to close the show. Sure. I mean, you know, what more could you ask, ask for in, in a guy, right? I, I mean, it's just uh, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask for. Knowing that you can't go out there and, and I mean, we we were in what, uh, a matter of days? It was less than 24 it, it hours? Was, was it was 30 hours after, right? It yeah. happened like early Thursday, and this is Friday night, because a lot of the wrestlers that wanted to get there from Raw couldn't even change their travel in time. 
right. they couldn't so, even make flight arrangements. Guys like Seth Rollins, you know, and Becky, them. So we saw them pay some tribute on Monday to sure. uh, to Bray. Seth said, "Yowie wowie" when he came out, and um, uh, LA Knight was talking a lot about the Fireflies. But I was I was very impressed with him. He was toned down and not yeah, doing perfect. as much because he knew he he could sense the time. But then he had to make the transition from Bray to talking about Miz. And he went into Miz. And then he gets a clean win. The biggest win that he's had in his career so far, I'd say, him this one in the Sheamus win, clean win over a former world champion. Yes, without a doubt. Just just this. Just put your try to picture yourself and saying, hey, look, you're closing the show tonight with a promo and a match. You were the last person to work with Bray Wyatt. Speak from the heart, you know, without being over the top, um, which he's known for. And being able to tone that down, being being able to read the arena and the fans and uh, the atmosphere there, that that was a tough thing to do. But I also thought it was it was a perfect moment, not just for. LA night, but for WWE Bray Wyatt, uh, and everything else going forward, uh, you know, into, uh, into the following Monday night. And then of course, fast forward to this week and you still have a SmackDown and you have a, uh, pay-per-view on, uh, this weekend with payback. And then the, the Miz on <laughs> Raw. Oh my, Jesus. the Miz does such a great job Dude. when he does these impersonations. <laughs> We've seen it with, the, he did it with Cena. He did it with the rock and now he's oh. done it with LA Knight. And you know what was funny? I was thinking when the Miz came out there, you're so used to seeing certain wrestlers like in their, in their getups. He looked different in there and man, he looked like a little more jacked. Like there was something you know about, why? I think this is what I popped for most. The, the oil all over the, the arm. That's what I was going to say. He was baby oiled all over. And you could see the tan, like his arms. Like it just, yes. they were, that. you're right. That's that's what it was. Because I noticed it more. I was like, look at those oh, yeah. arms on that, yeah. on my guy over there, the Miz. Look yeah. at that guy. And he, he, oh man, he was, yeah. you know, he was doing the LA night. It was it was the, just, just the liners he had. The best thing that's ever happened to the Miz is dating, Mar- you know, married to Maurice. Yeah, yeah. And, and I will say, there aren't many people in the history of wrestling that are like Miz in that he's so versatile. You can put him anywhere on the card against anyone at any moment. Like Miz can be not in a feud and not in a real storyline for months. And then win the world champion or championship on out of nowhere, out of nowhere, <laughs> you know. And then all of a sudden, you just inject him into this thing with LA Knight, and it's great. And it's like one of the best things on TV on Raw and SmackDown for the last few weeks. And and even the, the this is one of the things where even the people that don't like Miz don't really have anything bad to say about this because this is the the people that don't like Miz don't like maybe his in ring work, you know, or maybe don't think. He should have been a world champion because he wasn't as good in the ring. But even even those people, they'll give Miz credit for his mic work and his character stuff. So everything here has been just great leading up let's, to this. Look, you know, let's go back to the early stages when he just left Road Rules, right? Um, for MTV, for those who don't know, MTV reality show Road Rules, which was a fantastic show. Um, he comes over to the WWE, and this guy can't even 
he can't even cut a live promo with with memorized lines. Remember the diva search? Oh, he was and he just butchering botched. everything, and we thought, okay, oh this, my. this is and this this guy is 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 going to be hosting uh, a game show in in C markets. You know, the when the Price is Right goes on tour to to like Boise, Idaho, the Miz will be that guy. You know, hosting. You know, in the arena. Uh Man, what a transformation this guy has made since that time. I mean, this guy just – I remember t- interviewing him years ago when he was a WWE world champion. And uh, they were coming around either to Houston or Beaumont or something, and he was on the card, and I got a chance to interview with him. And that's one thing I talked to him about was that big of a mess up on live TV, live TV and then fast forward to be, look, and it's just not coming from him. I've interviewed other wrestlers during that time. This guy was was great to be around in the locker room. Yeah. He never thought he was beneath or above and, anybody. And that's that's what he did, Chad. He he just earned it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? 100%. He just earned it. Like there was nothing given to him at all. Oh no. At no. all. He had he he got thrown out of the locker room. Remember the the story, and he they couldn't yeah. they would they he had to dress in the bathrooms and in the yeah. hallway because he was eating food over somebody's bag, and some of the chicken dropped in someone's bag, and they made a huge <laughs> deal of it and told him he didn't respect them, and they kicked him out. And this is a guy who, you know, he's struggled to get respect from a lot of people, and then he's just earned it, man. Like you can't deny he just you can't deny him. You know, that's yeah. the thing about this guy. Like, you just can't deny him. And here he is again, like, finding a way. And this is, like, a really good veteran thing, too. He he finds a way to get involved with the guys that are really over a lot, too. You know what I mean? Like, LA Knight sure. is over right now. Hey, like, it's not a coincidence that they put Miz in this spot because Miz is, like, a nice a stepping stone now. He's that guy. He's a great stepping stone type character. And um man, Miz and L A Knight. Let's get to let's get to AEW. If we have some time at the end, we'll talk about NXT. But if not, sure. we'll we'll uh we'll catch up with NXT next week because they have a little bit less going on this week. But with AEW, they just had all in and then they have all out coming up this weekend. <laughs> there were literally pay-per-views, two of them within a week. But the crazy thing, Chad, nobody's talking about that. Nobody's even talking about the pay-per-view. I want to give them credit because I'm in this a lot of the stuff I read, and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna say like 81,000. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, but I I think it was from a lot of the things I've read. There were like a 67, 68 number out there, but let's just say they did it. They they got the most people in one night in a pro wrestling show that was paid, but nobody's even talking about that. We're talking about CM Punk again, Jack Perry. Jack Perry goes out on the pre-show. He says something that pissed off CM Punk backstage. They get into it. We hear stuff about Miro. All of a sudden, reports come out. Then those reports are all wrong. Punk says he's screaming, I hate this place. Punk hates Tony Khan. (laughs) We we don't know any of this stuff. All we know is that it's all around CM Punk again. And they've got a pay-per-view in Chicago this weekend. And they won't 
He's not involved right now. Doesn't look like he's going to. Can you imagine if you were a person who bought tickets for this show, assuming CM Punk is going to be on there, and now he's not. And now this show that you have booked, we were just talking about the WWE show. We didn't know what the main event's going to be. What's going to be the main event on this show? All out. There's nine matches right now. Is it going to be a Ring of Honor tag team title match with MJF and Adam Cole versus the Dark Order? Are you going to do a Kenny Omega versus Takeshita match, a singles match that you just announced the other day? You haven't even let them cut a promo about this match, and it feels like it should be have a little bit more build to before this match. Cassidy Moxley for the Uh, international championship. I mean, that... uh. That's at least had some consistent build to it. Samoa Joe, had... who's been jobbing out to Punk, is defending the ROH title against Shane Taylor, Gino. What are you trying to tell me? That that's not going to main event this big show? No, I don't think what? so. We have more ROH championships on the line than... <laughs> um, look, I can tell you this, and I told you this already. Um, Chicago is one of the, if not the, rowdiest wrestling crowds ever. And if Punk's not on this show and this crowd hijacks this show, it will not be good. Because this is one of the towns that AEW can go to in a matter of weeks and sell a bunch of tickets. Whereas you saw, we've seen the last several months of Wednesdays of 3,000, maybe 4,000, maybe 5,000 people in these live uh, live shows for Dynamite on Wednesday nights. Chicago's not like that. This is the one that that you they've only sold three thousand tickets right now. And, last and that time, is scary. That's scary. Th- this building can fit like thirteen thousand. I think they sold ten. I don't uh, think the, they'll the even time. advertising punk. You know, is going no. They're to not. Sell well, they're not. Thousand tickets. They're not. And what's what? It's what's scary is like. It's real what just happened at Wembley. Like they had a huge, a huge moment and a huge night, and it was a great show, and the crowd was into it. And like, you know, it it was it was a good show. It it wasn't comparable to like their best show ever, which which is what we were sort of hoping. Like they didn't treat it that way, which I think as fans, we were kind of like, huh. Like I um I listened to the Wade Keller, the PW Torch, a lot of the nights because he has the the post show uh, after Dynamite. And then they'll have callers. That's why I like his show because he takes a lot of callers. Sure, um, yeah. And then he'll him and like his guests will react to the callers. And and like anything, some callers are positive, some are negative. They bring up different things. And the one caller said, "Man, I was thinking in in the like the last couple months leading up to this when they announced sort of the schedule. I, he said I was thinking that they were gonna have like this amazing build to all in, and then." In, in like that two weeks between all in and dynamite and rampage and collision, and then the same thing next week leading into all out, he said, Could you imagine I've like just treated every one of those shows like a huge deal around your big event? You know, with just you've got enough people on their roster. All of those shows could have been like Great matches, building story, really good stuff all the way. And it felt like the opposite. It felt like they were really content with selling that they sold all these tickets before they even announced anything. And so then they just took their they just took their foot off the gas. Well, we'll just do whatever. Oh, which that's impressive to sell that many tickets without announcing something. 
But I don't know. Like, I don't know if you go back there next year and you're going to get the same response. And no. now listening to the the show last night, there were three different people that called into the PW Torch after show and that had said, I've been to every show in Chicago. This was by far the worst show that we've been to, the most subdued, the least amount of star power. Now, I, I will give them one one real big mulligan in that Tony Khan, who you and I are super critical about a lot and we make fun of him and stuff, but he did an awesome thing even in a week where it's in between two pay-per-views, in a week where he's had to suspend CM Punk and Jack Perry and who else we don't even know. He told all the talent if they wanted to go to Bray Wyatt's services, they could absolutely go and not have to worry about being a dynamite, which is a very cool gesture because there are a lot of people on that roster that are close to Bray that probably wanted to go and be around. And so he could have been a dick, right, and said, look, I had to suspend Punk. We're in between two big shows. Like, you guys can't do that. But he didn't do that. So – I want to give him a little bit of credit and give them a little bit of leeway. All that being said, it doesn't look like they had much of a plan knowing we no. were going to have two shows back to back in a week. Like you had to have some plan for a couple of your matches to get built on your pay-per-view, right? Like you should have had when people were who were already bought watching, you should have had after a match an angle to lead to a match the next time, then you could have at least built that on dynamite and then had it ready for a week later. But man, they're just throwing matches on this card that we were like, huh? What? Samoa Joe's Shane Taylor. Okay. Kingston and Shibata versus Claudio and Yuta. It's funny of all the ring of honor stuff. We have two ring of honor, um, two ring of honor matches ta- uh, tag or two ring of honor title matches on this show. The one that makes the most sense to have put on this show, the one that they've actually built on AEW TV would have been Kingston versus Claudio. <laughs> like that one-on-one match for the Ring We're of Honor title, they could honestly, they could have had that match be the main event. Yeah. Of this show, even with the Ring of Honor title there, because the crowd likes Kingston, people want, and that, and you know what's funny? That match, if that was a one-on-one for the main event. That match wouldn't have got crapped on. True. I don't think the crowd would have crapped on Eddie Kingston. It's weird. That crowd might crap on Kenny Omega because of all the elite stuff with Punk, right? If you're there and you're a Punk guy and Punk's not there and you see Kenny Omega in the match, are you going to be chanting for CM Punk? Good point. I think they go Moxley Cassidy. Yeah, I do too. That's my feeling. As the main event because, like, you can't put the – I could even see them going, oh, you know what? Let's go Bullet Club versus the Young Bucks and the FTR. Like, that'll be a fun eight-man match. It'll be a lot of action. It'll go 25 minutes. I don't think they put the Young Bucks out there with the same reason why. Like, they might get eaten alive by Punk Chance in Chicago with all the crap they have with Punk. This is so amazing that you have to think about this stuff when you're putting on a show. Like, this, this is why... Chad, when when he came back, you and I had said right away, is it worth it? Like, he's a huge star, massive star, gets ratings, biggest star on your roster. But look what he's done in a couple months already. you got a new show on Saturday. Jack Perry's doing this. The Young Bucks are here. Miro's doing this. I mean, 
this is too much, right? Nobody's worth this. No, they're just not. There's just not at this, you know, point in time where you've been at now, what, year four, year five, whatever it is for AEW, it's just not. I mean, everything has, has to be changed. We ha- it's so It just seems so watered down now. The crowds are, the live crowds are, are down. Uh, honestly, the product has suffered. It has. That wasn't the best of pay-per-views for them over the weekend. It was marred by another nasty backstage incident involving multiple people. Um, it's just not been... And just if you're just a casual wrestling fan, you don't care. You're, you'll watch whatever when you feel like watching. But guess what also starts this weekend? It reared its head last weekend with seven college or eight football. games. But we've got college football this weekend. Not only And the WWE show, like Collision on Saturday, has payback sure. to deal with, so too. Not, not only is, is Rampage going to be lost in the mix— but I, you know, I, this pay per view is Sunday night. Is that correct? Since Monday is Labor Day, or is this a Saturday yeah. show? No, this is a Sunday show because because Labor Day. Okay. Yeah, and because so WWE is be on Saturday. Against, okay, and, so yeah. you'll be going up against LSU and Florida State on ABC. And <laughs> I, you know, I, I just look. They'll be. And are you going to pay? Are, are people going to pay fifty bucks for this when they just paid fifty bucks last week? This isn't like like having a show, having it on a network or. Or making a deal where it's like, hey, if you buy instead of fifty bucks, if you buy these two, we'll give you both of them for sixty. Right? There was nothing like that. They didn't think about this at all. They didn't have anything planned. Like, how do you not have this ready, knowing you're going to have your biggest show, and then a week later your next show? And it wasn't even like they loaded up all in and then all out suffered. It was almost like they didn't really do a great job with either of them. Right. It, it was really, really weird. And the the major storyline that they had, the MJF and Adam Cole, they win the tag team title, the Ring of Honor tag team titles on the pre-show. And then the main event match is a comedy match. Most of it. Um, it wasn't a bad match or anything, but the match is like slow. They're talking throughout it. Roddy, Roddy Strong's coming out a, a few different times. Adam Cole's not sure what to do. We don't know if anyone's going to tell. Like, they're telling a story, but it's funny because, like, our complaint sometimes with AEW is that they don't tell any story. And it's like somebody injected storyline into their veins here. You know what I mean? It's like, this is this is too much story for your main event. <laughs> you, you go from zero to this? Like, you can't take a step somewhere in the middle? It's just one extreme or the next to where you've got a comedy match in your main event of Wembley, and then it, it ends up with a roll-up. That's that was yeah. the only thing I didn't I like I didn't love. And I and I've been pretty consistent with this all along, and so have you. And on my side, I've said I don't mind it. I think it's entertaining. I don't love it being the main event story with the world title in the mix. Cause I yeah. do feel like through all of this and through him now being, I guess, a babyface, really. And now him having like the Ring of Honor world title. I don't know. MJF just feels less to me than he did three months ago, right off the bat when he won the title. 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, look, the match was entertaining over the weekend. I, it just, it, it wasn't the best. It felt more comedy. There was so many comedy spots and that's what they've built this feud on though, is comedy. And 
it kind of takes away from the fact that both guys can really get after it in the ring. And, and, and it's like you're you're trying to hide something for all the comedy shtick that's going on in these matches. And it just felt so much for for that match to be the main event for the world title of your company. And certain spots didn't add up. And now, you know, they won the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships, which is so I, I, I'm not trying to be ugly about it, but it's so beneath them. You know, you, I know. Why, why would Seth Rollins be the NXT Tag Team Champion right now? You know, why Why would Roman Reigns be the NXT or, let's say, mixed Tag Team Champion? It just doesn't make sense. I don't know why they did this. It's not a good move, and I think they're going to regret this. Yeah, um, just a, a bummer, because now you've got, and like, so now you've got your next big show that was, this was supposed to be like your big, big yearly show in Chicago. You don't even have your world title being defended. And we don't even have MJF on the go home show, really. You know, they have like a cut segment from him from over the weekend. It, you didn't like, we were thinking they were going to have Punk come out after the match and have like a, a Punk for the real world's championship. Punk, like there was supposed to be something with Ricky Starks. That's not going to be on here at all. Um, Again, the a lot of the in-ring work I'm sure will be fine But honestly, honestly, Chad I'm looking at this card There isn't one thing on this card That I'm really, really no. excited for Not one right. match And they have nine matches on the card Like, if I'm ranking them in order Orange Cassidy, Moxley Probably the one I'm the most intrigued by Because the one consistent thing You and I have said every week is like you know what? They're doing a good job with Orange Cassidy. He's getting over. They they're telling a story with him, and each week it was you know he keeps defending the title. He's just getting by, and then they transferred that story into him actually having a feud with the Blackpool Combat Club. So wow, they tell a little bit of a story. They have some consistency. We feel like this guy. It's a big deal for him. This is a huge match for Cassidy for Moxley. But other than that, I mean. Miro, Powerhouse Hobbs They've built that completely on collision If you're not watching that consistently It feels totally out of sight, out of mind The Luchasaurus stuff has been completely on collision Chris Statlander and Ruby Soho We haven't seen built much on Dynamite at all They're wrestling for the TBS title Zero interest in that None Um, Omega Takeshita with Callis I wanted, like, I like Omega you know Omega's like 0-6 in his last ma- Six matches Ugh. I think he's lost six in a row um, it, it, These These two shows That are probably your two biggest shows of the year And you didn't really have Like you didn't get much of anything Out of Kenny Omega Like how, why was That's he is it, He wrestling like Will Osprey And then like a week later <laughs> Wrestling MJF Or right. you know in a match with like like an awesome singles match of him versus Moxley or him versus Hangman Page, Buddy versus Buddy. I don't know where the hell's Hangman Page too. Like he's not a. I don't like. Is he hurt or something? You no, right now would be. He's, he's got it announced that he's wrestling a Texas independent worker, uh, Brian Keith, on Rampage Friday night. So why isn't right now <laughs> when you don't have Punk and you've got a bunch of guys not around? Like why aren't you leaning on him more? Yeah. As like one of your top guys, I like I'm not I con- understanding the like a lot of the production and stuff. But Bullet Club versus 
the Young Bucks and FTR. I can they coexist? The Young Bucks and FTR? <laughs> like I don't like I don't like this. We no. we were we were weird about FTR saving them. People want to see FTR and the Young Bucks feud. They're two great tag teams. They want to see them wrestle against each other. Like all of this booking and all these matches were just lazily thrown together. Like there's just not a lot of reason for any of them. And that's just that's a, a real bummer. Um a couple things I wanted to mention, Chad. But I did I did send send you and I said, okay, my favorite things that happened on Dynamite. Roderick Strong, who has <laughs> always been a guy who was really good in ring, but small. And and he had like no personality. That was always the the problem with Roderick. Like he couldn't cut great promos. He kind of sounds a little whiny on the microphone, and it's not. He's just not like a fantastic talker. But they found a character with him. This is like the Bob Orton thing, <laughs> like the Bob Orton gimmick where he had the neck brace, oh, right? Yeah. And then D'Lo Brown was doing it with the chest protector, you know, for a while, and he was wearing it over and over. Yeah, and now, like. Whenever you see Roderick, he's got like a different bandage on him somewhere. And he said to Cole, he said, you care about MJF's neck and you don't care about my neck health. I don't know why him saying neck health was just the stupidest, (laughs) funniest thing to me. Um, So that's popped me a little bit because Roderick's just found a little personality now, um, which he's never had, and and the acclaimed. So they win, um, they win the trios titles in all and all in at, at Wembley. Eighty thousand people, a lot like cool. Uh, I thought the Jericho, um, the Jericho Osprey match was pretty good, and a lot of the in ring stuff was solid. But overall, it just kind of felt like an like an elevated house show. Um, but the acclaimed win. So Billy Gunn is a is a trios champ with them. And they come out and they're having a segment, like a celebration segment. And it was pretty stupid, but it was funny. Like this was a WWE segment, right? Like this is something you would have seen in the WWE ring. And they're like celebrating and they're, you know, they're, they're each giving a little speech and they do a ribbon cutting ceremony and they have like scissors to cut the, the ribbon, you know, and like bigger pairs of scissors. But they call themselves because they just beat the house of black. They, they call themselves the house of ass. (laughs) <laughs> and, yeah. and then the commentators, Taz was incredible. Taz was like, "Hey, uh, sounds like that sounds familiar. I swear I've been to a place in Philly called the House yeah. of X, you know." And then, <laughs> and then, like Excalibur even was like, "Yeah, I think some of the wrestlers went to a place called the House of Ass, you know." And it was just, it was, it was funny. It was one of those things where it was said, and then it was just perfect timing from everyone. So. For as critical as I am about you know a lot of things, I, I just died laughing a couple of times, and it's because I like a lot of people on this roster. Chad, you do too. You've worked with a lot of people on this roster on AEW. Sure. We want them to be the best they possibly can. We see when they have good segments and what they can do. This was a week where it was like, oh, yep. Our focus is selling all the tickets for this show and then telling everybody how we sold all the tickets for this show and not trying to make this show the best thing ever because that just that would have been so great. You could have had such good energy coming off that show. And instead, we're all talking about 
Is CM Punk going to ever be back in this company? Is he suspended? Should he be suspended? You feel bad for Jack Perry too, because like he was he was doing something that CM Punk has done all the time, right? Like take the mic and call someone out and act a little like snide and snarky. And this is something that could like ruin Jack Perry. <laughs> like this could ruin him if yeah Punk for sure it, if 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 like Tony Khan takes the Punk side in this. You know, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if he was put up to this or he just took matters into his own hand about the glass because that was the comment. This is real I will glass say, I, I the it wasn't like it wasn't a smart move for Jack Perry to say that. Like the character on that show, like Chad, we all work yeah. places. When you work, you know that like you know where you stand at work. There are some people that are higher up on the totem pole than you. They get treated differently. They get to do what they want and you don't. And that's, that sucks, but that's the reality of life. You know, like there, you like not everybody has to play by the same rules. So, so the character, like for his work, I, I, that may not have been smart. I will say, I like him a lot more for doing it. Jack Perry. It gives him an edge. He needed it. If they were going to change him from, from jungle boy to, I do, you know, I, th- this is, you know, that maybe was, this was a plant. Maybe this that, was gimmicked because that was work. That was worth as much as like any segment or promo or anything just for, with what people know. Oh, that, this is I, more headlines. He'll he's ever gotten ever, you know, and if they ever. can get something out of it, I hope he just doesn't get thrown to the back. Um, That's true. But uh, yeah, that was AEW on an insane week where. <laughs> Shout out to them. They did a great job selling those tickets, but man, I think they could have put on such a better show if you use all your top talent in these singles matches that could have been built. You have these big matches, some of them that you seem like you're saving. Like, where's your Kenny MJF? Like, what are you saving these some of these matches for? And now MJF's a baby face. Is that the best use of him? I don't know. It's always the production stuff. It's always the behind-the-scenes stuff. Most of these wrestlers... You could roll the ball out there and just say go play, and they're going to put together a good match. True, that's that's a good point. It is, but that's not what we need. That's not how you grow and take the next step from being TNA to WWE. You know, and what we've seen. So, what will they do this weekend? This will be a huge weekend just to see how loyal are some people to AEW because this show has no build. None. You just paid fifty last week. There's all this bad energy. You don't even know if Punk's going to be on there. You don't have your world title being defended. There's nothing marquee on here that's like a, a selling the show match. How many people are going to buy this show? We will see. Koopa Loop, before we finish up, we saw college football open up last week. So we we have football in our lives. Eric and, and me are finishing up. We finish up our NFL uh, previews with the NFC North this week, which is sort of a fun division because the freaking <laughs> Lions are favored in the yeah. division. And we have, you know, the Lions have like the kind of the steadiest, the most maybe consistent roster coming back. Then you had, and they, they got improved on defense. You have the Packers who they're starting a quarterback who's thrown 80 passes. Their two, their top three wide receivers are second year wide receiver who only has 800 yards in his career, second year wide receiver who has 400 yards in his career, and their third wide receiver is a rookie, and their tight end is a rookie. They're all 
this completely unproven, but they have the two good running backs with Green Bay, and the defense should be pretty solid. Minnesota, they won 11 one-score games last year. They should have been like an eight- or nine-win team, and they end up winning 13 games. They get lucky with every single bounce, but a lot of times teams like that regress the next year after everything bounced your way. And then you've got the Bears, and there's a lot of buzz about fields. They got some pieces to help him out with DJ Moore over there. They brought in Claypool last year. I don't know if there's any Super Bowl contenders in this division. What do you think? What do you have any thoughts about any of these teams? Positives, negatives? Uh, give me a minute or two on the uh, on the NFC North and what you think coming into the year. Oh, was it Detroit nine and eight or something like that last year? Yeah, they uh, they started one and six, and they had a, just a fantastic finish to the season and almost made the playoffs. That's crazy because if you look at the futures here, um, as you Detroit's plus one forty five to win the division. Then Minnesota and Green Bay is basically identical. It's pretty close. Yeah. Right? The Bears were like plus 500, and over the last couple of weeks have taken a lot of money, and they're like plus 380 or plus 390 now in a lot of places. They're getting a lot of buzz with Fields, like the yeah. rumors in camp that he's thrown the ball well and he's improved there, and they're they're getting a, a lot of buzz on that. So yeah, it's, I, I don't think. Look, I don't think anyone in that division goes to the to the Super Bowl. If they do, no. then we're in trouble. Uh, yeah. Whatever host town is getting them, unless it's Green Bay, because their fans have come out regardless. I, I mean, are we to the point where saying, you know, Jordan Love was the heir apparent and there's not going to be any drop off there at all in Green what, Bay? And because the key is, the key is for something like that is, right, he won't be peak Aaron Rodgers, but can he be as good as like Aaron Rodgers was last year? Which wasn't, sure. That good, right? Like that that's what I'm in my head, what I'm trying to compare him to. The like I I wanna like Green Bay, I think more than I just have such a hard time with all of the proven, like both all three receivers and a tight end not proven. I could see them just running. They got two really good backs, lean on those two guys, throw the ball a little bit to Aaron Jones out of the backfield. And then if your defense is good, like I could see them being competent. If I'm betting a team in the division, there's no way I can bet the Lions as the favorite. Like, I like the Lions, and I think they will probably make the playoffs this year. But you can't bet them as the favorite in the division after every year they've been the underdog. <laughs> like, the underdog, and then all of a sudden, one year they're flipped, and there's just no value there. Well, how, hey, look, what about the Bears? Look, Right? Last, yeah, it's, it's got to be Bears or, Bears or Packers. I can't look, bet Minnesota. Look. Because no, I think no. they're going to regress. It's, it's got to be they Packers. May, they may, they may, you know, keep continuing to eat Lucky Horseshoes for breakfast, and they may do that. I've just never been a Kirk Cousins fan at all, especially with that new handlebar mustache that he donned no. last weekend. I don't like that. If I don't you look like at the that. Bears, the last time I think they won a division, what was 2017 or 18? And guess who was the quarterback in his second year? Mitch Trubisky. So compare Mitch and Fields, and if you think that maybe – Fields is going to improve a lot, which he should. If he digresses, they're in trouble. But if Fields can break this mold of Ohio State quarterbacks not being very good in the NFL, I think that I, I, I'm with you. It's either Packers or Bears. I would probably lean Packers, but it would not surprise me if the Bears are on the other side of those one one point win games. No, and and keep in mind. So week one. The, I what I like too is the Bears. They're one of those teams that they got to get off to a good start. 
Because then the rest of your team starts to believe you got a young team. It's your second year with this coaching staff. So they're figuring things out a little bit more. And everybody starts to get invested. They start to play a little bit harder. Um, they Here's where they start. So week one, they're home for Green Bay. And Ooh. think about how excited the Chicago Bears fans are going to be to not see Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, right? right? They've had to deal with this guy beating the crap out of them for so many years now, and he's not there. So they're a, they're actually a one point favorite. Week oh, wow. one, week one at home against the Packers. Um, then week two, they go at Tampa. That's a very winnable game. Very winnable. Like Tampa's nothing to write home about this year. So for a team like Chicago, I think it happened last year where they sort of had a decent start, but can they get to two and zero? Oh, you know, and then. Then all of a sudden, the guys start believing because week three you got to go at Kansas City. That's a tough game. But then week four, you come and you come back home and you play Denver. That might be a winnable game. Like Denver sure. on the road, they're not necessarily uh, the most imposing team. Then week four, you or week five, you go at Washington. Again, like you're you're not talking about the most difficult schedule. You come home and you play the Vikings. And then the Raiders, both at home. These are winnable games. Very winnable start, games. To start their season, Chad. So this might be a team that, yeah, maybe if you're looking to play the division, if you're someone who's sitting out there and you want to get a little action on like a lot, each of these divisions and just have a little fun to start the season, I, it's it's Packers or, or Bears in here. 100%. That, that oh, play, yeah. Just oh, based yeah. on the value, for oh, sure. Coop yeah. Loop, my man, next week. Be ready. So next week, every time when we talk some wrestling, have like an NFL or a college game or sure. two that you want to talk about, and we can uh, at the end each week we can dish them out. Are you going to be doing uh, doing coverage and doing some writing and stuff again this year for uh, for some gambling and games and stuff uh, with the papers? Yeah, just uh, real quick. There's a couple of games I like. I like Western Kentucky laying 11 against South Florida. Western Kentucky's one of the best offenses in the country. Uh, the t- the Highest passing uh, quarterback, the league leading passer is returning for Western Kentucky uh, this year. He's back. They got some good receivers from Auburn and Tennessee that transferred over. I know UCF has a new coach, but man, they were the worst defense overall in the nation last year. So I like I like I like Western Kentucky minus eleven. Um, I, I, look, the big one over the weekend for me is LSU Florida State. Florida State dominated that not dominated, but they, they had that game last year. I think they they were in control pretty much until the final quarter or so. Then their special teams just took a big dump. Florida State plus three. Are you kidding me? In Orlando, where they're 9-0-1 against the spread in their last 10 games in Orlando, Florida State has 17 returning starters. You kidding me? LSU found this. They're 2-7. and seven. The last nine is a favorite of five or less. And this put the icing on the cake for me, Gino. Florida State, 5-0 and as an underdog of less than five points or, or more than five or more points. And if you – or five or less points, excuse me. So I'm going Florida State plus three here. They should have won it last year. I think Florida State is bigger this year, uh, better this year. And I, I just – look, Brian Kelly, yeah, they turned it on. I'm just not sold on Brian Kelly. I'm not sold on LSU. Western Kentucky, minus 11. Florida State, I don't want the points. I really don't need the points, but I'm going to take the points. Florida State plus three Sunday night ABC national national game. Love this. Some college football this weekend. <laughs> we are underway. 
every weekend now, college and NFL Woo! coming up. We love it. We love it. Ch- Chad's got to play with two top 10 teams tipping off or kicking off on Sunday night. Coop Loop, my man, thank you so much, buddy. You got it, buddy. Uh, this was like a drama-filled week this week. It was sad oh, with, with, yeah. with some deaths that we had, some very big passings, and then AEW, the highest of highs, selling all those tickets, and then the lowest of lows, not <laughs> coming back here and not doing well, not sure what's going on with Punk. We'll have more to talk about next week, and we'll get into uh, more of NXT next week as well. Make sure to give him a follow at the Chad Cooper on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you so much, buddy. You have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll talk soon. Let's pick some winners, Gino. Let's do it. Good luck in your games, and uh, don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to come on this episode of That's What G Said. Another loaded show. A big thank you to Chad for helping us out with everything going on in the world of wrestling. Next week with Eric, we will be previewing NFL games. Barry has been really consistent helping us out all of the last month or so, and we'll probably dive into another track next week and preview some of the big races there. Thanks so much to everyone for hanging out. Don't forget about the big day at Louisiana on Saturday with the Louisiana Super Derby. Good luck at Del Mar, at Saratoga, at Woodbine, wherever you're playing. Wish you the best of luck this weekend. Talk to you again real soon. Body and four Marvel crack the multi